This is a Galactic Network podcast. The Podcast of Terror is a great podcast. It's covering movies that are not for children, and thus this podcast is not for children. The hosts are two adults who will use bad words from time to time. They'll also spoil movies if that's not your thing. So if you don't like spoilers and you don't want to hear some dirty language or some dirty references to dirty parts of your body, then please, please, please wash your body parts better and do not listen to this show. If you can handle it, and I hope you can because there's a great podcast coming up, then please proceed with Podcast of Terror. episode 147 of the podcast here a production of the galactic network for more on this podcast including show notes content information subscription links go to gncast.com slash pod i am matt stein Corey's coming eventually um this week we are joined by author of a little book called a god in the shed uh, a friend of our show previous guest he's written a bunch of other books it's a couple sci-fi books and we'll definitely talk about it. I know he's got a new one coming out, but JF uh, Dubo. Very sad. Yeah. Is, uh, Corey was getting bested by his cat, apparently? Uh, that's, that's what I got from his comment. Mm. It happens. I like how he just waits in silence. I, I couldn't hear you guys up until just now. Like a fucking creeper. <laughs> um, did you forget to turn your mic on? No, or wait, your headphones? Uh, Jesus! Did the goddamn settings changed or something, and it pulled from the wrong spot? Sounds about right. Yeah. Uh, this is why you guys need to do what I do and just never podcast again. Never podcast, or when you podcast, make sure you have a host that's for some reason willing to do all your work. Uh, well, like most things, uh, since I hit my early to mid forties, uh, all my equipment has just tanked. So it's been constantly a struggle of like, oh, my mic, I'm talking, I'm talking, I'm talking. Why, why is nobody reacting to what I'm yeah. saying now? <laughs> yeah, that happens. So, Corey, what the fuck is going on here with the pulpit and shit? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I like it. Don't get me wrong. It's got a, uh, you're going to, there's going to be a revival coming on. Well, it works in his favor because he's always on a fucking soapbox. I am. <laughs> I, I figure just lean into it. I'm, I'm wearing a, a long it's, bathrobe. It's amazing. Like, you've got the books <laughs> on the side. <laughs> yeah, I got Barker books. And I've got a uh, Great and Secret Show in Everville. I really want a boy in a robe to come by. Neither of you were ever cat. Oh, never mind. Corey, you'll totally get it. JF, you might not. But they had the, the little, like, it, there's a fire on one side and there's a cup on the other to light and put out the candles. Yeah, yep. I want I want a little boy to walk in when we start and, and light, light candles. candles. <laughs> and then I just I want you to give him, give him a firm slap on the ass. <laughs> I, I have nephews. I, I will definitely work on that. So as Corey looks more like a priest than he ever has, you want a young boy to walk yep. in, yep. even yep. though he has no children that I know of. And then I went right to nephews. I, I, yep, that's exactly right. <laughs> that, that's gonna work super well i'm sure that that no one will pick up on that in any negative way forever no no what no i'm not that near the schools in this town (laughs) 
is this by law? <laughs> right. Yeah, I'd like that answer. I said he was right. What? Well, oh. uh, I mean, you know, you know how you said it. I know how I said it. <laughs> so, Corey, you'll like this. And Jay, if you're Canadian, you'll like this too. Um, if not, I'll apologize for not liking it. It involves maple syrup. Mm. Oh. <laughs> I, uh, I went to a, a beer release this morning and they're... Of course you did. Yeah, I know. Shocker. <laughs> in, in, in Matt's case, beer releases just, they ejaculate all over him and it's all hops. <laughs> it's just, it's it's a hop, a hop cocky. <laughs> it's a bunch of beer mascots wanking over him. <laughs> I paid good money to have some animal jizz on me. Uh, but, it, okay, so so this company makes maple syrup and then they, they age the maple syrup in bourbon barrels. And then this brewery ages their stout in the maple bourbon barrels i have questions already but i got okay so before we get to your questions i got to drink some of the the uh, maple syrup and then some of the beer um yes J. and then did you pass out in one of the barrels how do you, no i thought i was a, age, a diabetic how do you age maple syrup it's just sugar it'll crystallize i don't know probably won't crystallize if it's in alcohol though right well, it, no. So the the, the well, barrels. Yeah, if it's an alcohol, yeah, yeah, that's more of a reinforced. Unless yeah, they put but... some alcohol in the, because the beer it goes in after the maple syrup comes out. But I don't know if the maple syrup would leach some of the alcohol from the the, the barrel. I don't. I know you can smoke uh, maple syrup. You can. I don't know. Maybe there is something to it. You can smoke marijuana too. Um, Legal in Canada. Oh, to Canada. Well, as soon as I moved to Michigan, we made it legal here. After I left the last place where it just got legalized, so <laughs> yeah, we had, you right. just bring legalization everywhere you go. That it, You're like the pot fairy. Jesus <laughs> Christ, you and you do look a bit like Jerry Garcia. So yeah. there is that. It works. I've identified the pot fairy. <laughs> I'm just trying to figure out how to age maple syrup and bourbon barrels over here. Hmm. So do you brush your teeth with maple syrup? No. No. Do it's even, a it's a rinse after. Do you even like maple syrup? <laughs> I love maple syrup. Okay. Um I wouldn't drink it. Uh we do have this this thing where you uh take hot, I guess, proto maple syrup and you drizzle it on snow so it becomes this kind of um chewy tot toffee type thing that's cold. It's delicious. Okay, so you're not having like a snow cone, where like where they take the syrup and they put it into the snow. It, you're eating the maple syrup that's kind of frozen from being on the snow off of it. Yes, smart. I like yeah, that. you just you just roll it on like a popsicle stick and you you suck on it like a like a dick, and it's great. <laughs> that was my first thought. I just fully assumed you were going to say a lollipop, like most normal people. But I like that you went with dick. I I knew this this podcast was coming, so I basically just repeated the word penis forty five times before joining to hang out. So that I'm in the proper mindset. You're gonna make dick jokes. You're gonna make dick jokes. I'm trying to get most of them out of my system. Why? Do you have Christmas Why? in Canada? I know Christmas is coming up for us in the United States, but I don't know if you have it in Canada. Um, yes, except here we celebrate by decorating a live moose. Um, <laughs> The death toll is through the roof. 
<laughs> you don't you don't tame the moose first. No, 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 no. <laughs> Fucking go to the forest with your lights, bat car batteries to light the light, find a moose, decorate it. Usually yeah. you lose one or two family members in the process. And we're a very fertile people here. <laughs> At first. Well, that's, yeah. you have nothing. You can't do anything else in winter other than fuck. There, there's exactly. a field of moose. Which one do we decorate? The strong one. <laughs> well, it's that's how you show your family's dominance. It's like prison. You find the biggest <laughs> moose and you fuck it. We decorate it for Christmas. Or you call it decorating crass. it. I call it fucking it. Whatever you want. <laughs> what do you do to your trees? Uh, we don't have a Christmas tree. <laughs> It's just, that's how, that's American I, maple syrup, JF. I that's... finally understand the look on that elf on a shelf's face. <laughs> Ooh. I don't I don't lean for the uh, elf on the shelf. I go for Krampus in the crevice. <laughs> oh, Jesus Christ. No, no. Is that a thing? If not, it should be. It should be. That's exactly what I, I, I mentioned it to the wife the other day. And I'm thinking, yeah, if we if we do that, every picture of elf on the shelf, there should be like some dark corner where Krampus is peering out. <laughs> Sure, that's not where Matt went with the crevice or whatever. No, I just assumed that Krampus was in someone's butt cheeks. <laughs> that is. I didn't even think about the fact that a crevice was an actual thing. <laughs> that wasn't weird. I'm glad we're already having such a good time. Yeah, we always are. I already started recording, so we don't, we don't have to. <laughs> yeah, we've been live anything. since I got here. Yeah, I stopped fucking around with it. You missed too much good conversation otherwise. Yeah, like, we would have just missed all that Krampus in my butthole stuff. I wouldn't say missing it. There wouldn't be a record of Krampus in my butthole stuff. The the world record. The world record. Are you painting miniatures? I'm I'm assembling, but not like things that require concentration. No, I think you mean the podcast isn't something that requires concentration. No, it really doesn't. I, I I need to be on like this is important. I'm I'm on the media like if I'm a media personality I need to like really bring my A game. So what are I want to see what you're so seeing. mad in 20 minutes when Matt reaches and pulls out his phone and starts. Uh, yeah, you'll probably have a hard time seeing, but it's these little, little monsters. Um, oh, for readying game? for. Yeah, yeah, it's kind of like a got an aliens vibe to them. And I'm just putting them on these round bases, and it's going to take forever because there's 40 of them. Jesus. Uh, shut up, Corey. I was responding to you saying something about me texting Jack. Maybe if you would text me back once in a while. Wasn't denial, though, was it? I have more friends than just Jack. Yeah, but... I'll probably end up texting not Seth at some point, too. Big fucking deal. <laughs> Big fucking deal. I just sit here and text a bunch of dudes on a Sunday night. <laughs> you know what? Sunday <laughs> nights are when I get the most done. Did you say the most, the most dong? The, d- I said done, but dong is correct too. I, it can be both. Average, average yeah. dick pics are through the roof. Um, we should. Probably... I love that. That's a metric. <laughs> <laughs> my dick pick per day average next to uh what's the, your adp my thing. adp my average dick average pick. dick pick yeah it shows up right underneath my my daily average screen time is average dick pick <laughs> i have uh, a very special apple watch that keeps track of all of that strokes <laughs> strokes per day <laughs> 
Uh, wow, you've been you've been jogging a lot. No. Yeah. So uh, speaking of Jack, he challenged me to a seven day challenge on the Apple Watch, and I haven't done shit. He's only like two hundred points ahead of me. <laughs> and I've been drinking all of that. No. All right. Cool. No surprise to anyone else. Not oh, even no. remotely. Yeah. I, I pretty little. much think that's why all the workout devices are based on the wrist. You're not wrong. Because you can't fit them in your uvula. I mean, uh, most people can't. You probably can. I don't have. Uh, Wait, are you going to say you don't have a, 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 a uvula? I was going to say I don't have an, an enlarged uvula. <laughs> okay. I'm guessing. Yeah, once the scabbing went down, it's, it's back to normal size. Apparently, it's very easy to stretch your pee hole. <laughs> I, 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 there was a period of time in which I paid more attention to the ability to stretch body parts when I did my ears. <laughs> There's legitimately legitimacy here. Um, there sure. was, oh, fuck, what was that website called? But it was like something awful.com. No, 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 no. It was uh, there's a legitimacy because I saw it on a website. <laughs> no, dude, there was pictures. I saw pictures of dicks. Go, um, go on. They had they did the pain so that that was... went in favor of your ADP. <laughs> this is a long time ago, um, but yeah. Um, fuck, I cannot remember the name of the website, but it was like all just oh body mod, body mod forums. <laughs> all think. just dicks. It was just it was. Mo- I think it was, was Pornhub. Pornhub. <laughs> I feel like it was probably a Harry Potter fan site, but <laughs> <laughs> I went to the Harry Potter con. Um. No, it's called Body Mod Forum or something or bodymod.com. And it was just all body modifications. That was when I was much younger and thought that that doing it to the extreme was a little cooler. And there was a lot of times dudes would just have like giant earrings in their dicks. Like as the keyhole, like a, a forced opening? <laughs> well, they'd have like a Prince Albert and then you could just, you could space it like you could space your ears. Okay, so, progressively so a putting... piercing, not like making the pee hole bigger. No, but I've heard of people doing that where you just put like a tube in your dick hole. Oh, yeah. Uh, That's space called docking. a catheter. Well, well, it's a catheter, oh, essentially, was... yeah. Yeah, I was going to say a catheter. I mean, yeah. I've had a catheter after some surgeries, and I mean, they're terrible. It's the worst thing ever, and you want to die. Yeah. If you dick put into another dick, it's it's done. Mm. A little bit of dick to dick. It's like, oh, let me change your catheter. I'd rather you cut off my head. <laughs> it's a two-part process and the second part is worse than the first and the first is super unpleasant so the first part for me happened when i was unconscious being conscious for the next part was i don't want to hit a nun or, or a nurse i, I kind of want to hit a nurn but <laughs> a, 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 a nurn yeah <laughs> no when i went when i was a kid and i had uh my tonsils taken out the nurses in the hospital i was in were actually nuns uh but this is not the case. So I'm, I'm sitting there. My wife has been visiting me uh, almost the entire time that I was in recovery. And at one point she gets up and she's like, hey, I'm going to go outside and have a cigarette. And I feel like she had it planned because as soon as she walked out, the nurse came in and she's like, I'm going to remove your catheter. And I'm like, I don't have a catheter. Oh, shit. There's been something hanging out of my dick this entire time. And uh, then she pulls it out. And it it's kind of like I don't know how long it lasted, but I think it was the three Godfather films. Uh, and 
it was like I've spent a lot of time with my penis throughout the years, and it's never been a great <laughs> view. But this was the saddest looking thing I have ever seen in my. It was like <sighs> I, I just want to use the term slurm because I feel like that's <laughs> what it should have been the actual title at that point. I, I've described my penis before as looking like a World War II vet. It's just all balmy and and like needs a crutch or two. It, it's it's not pretty, but this was. It like keeps awful. telling stories about. Right, exactly. Keeps telling stories about D Day and it won't shut up. <laughs> <laughs> There's this girl in college I went out with. That was my Vietnam. Uh, it, it's just it's so messed up, and I'm I just like, and there's nothing I can do. I, I just. It's pathetic and awful. It's already rough enough having someone see my junk when I'm feeling very vulnerable as it is. But this is the image that that they're only ever going to have of it. <laughs> but here, here's the one thing you can always fall back on is yours, as awful as it may be, is not the worst they've seen. No, yeah, because they're nurses and they've probably seen two worse off penises in that day. Mm-hmm. Let me put it another way. I was in the hospital for, I think, a day and a half after that. That nurse never returned. <laughs> she had had enough. Did you ever think that she, maybe it was just... She walked out and set the place on fire on the way out the door. Maybe she just had two consecutive days off following the day she ripped something <laughs> out of your dick. Maybe she didn't even work there. I think about that sometimes, <laughs> That's too. possible, too, man. That's definitely something. <laughs> like, so maybe she just shows with- up. Takes out catheter because that's her fetish. I've, I've been dealing with cisgendered asshole males all week, and I'm just going to go to the hospital and rip some guy's catheters out. It's just, boom. This is, this is my, my me time. And this is where the origin of the word cathartic. Mm-hmm. Right. It's not, but <laughs> no. <laughs> I liked it. I believe you. Um, I, quick question though, Corey. You said you've spent a lot of time with your penis over the years, yet you did not notice that there was something hanging out of it. Oh shit! Uh, so before I was with Aaron, uh, I was uh, dating my friend Melinda for a couple of years, and I don't remember at what point Melinda looked at me and she said, "Hey, we should put an earring in this." Uh, back to JF's conversation, and I said, "In in what?" what? randomly like what a what a weird thing to say to me as we're both naked and and i said in what and she's like in your in your penis i'm like well i'm not gonna pierce my penis she's like no there's already a hole here what i said no that's Uh. that's a pee hole that that's that's supposed to be there that's not how that works and she's like no under the head in this flap of skin you've got a hole and i said the fuck i do but uh no Turns out she was right. You went on an exploratory mission in your penis head? <laughs> I, she had to show me. Uh, I, I was just like, and I'm like mid-20s. Mid-20s. I love that because this is my new pickup line now. I need to show you something about anatomy <laughs> that I only found out about on a podcast. Well, it, it would work really well if you go into a jeweler. Uh, I just, I was not, I no consciousness of this at all up until that point. So now I wear a lovely hoop. No. You don't have to lie to us. We've already gone in great detail about your penis. I don't care if you have something in there. 
Unless you tell me it turns into a cauliflower or you use it as a lightning rod successfully. I don't think there's anything we could learn about your penis right now that would shock us. It's actually starring in the new Transformers Bumblebee film. (laughs) Sure. I mean, I've seen three out of five of the other ones. Nothing would surprise me anymore. Uh, Corey's penis is actually Megan Fox. Oh, I thought you were going to say it comes out screaming John Cena. But... When when I come, it just goes. Burr, 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 burr. If you watch wrestling, you'll get that. So like not, two people. Hey, what, what was that, JF? I do not watch wrestling, so I don't get it. Oh, I thought you said something about being an adult. What? No, I have no, no problem with people watching wrestling. Do whatever you enjoy. Um, I just showed you the toy soldiers I'm assembling. No, no, no. I just, I just want to make sure. <laughs> where where, it, where it, do I have room to call you out for not being It an came adult? and went for me. Like I slowed I stopped watching it again. Um but I'm sure I'll get back into it because it's cheesy, cheesy fun. I like going when it's in town. That's fun, because then I can get really drunk and be very obnoxious. Um Although last night I went to uh, UFC was in Milwaukee and uh, a friend of mine procured tickets and there was a guy who was very, very drunk in front of us, like so drunk that he was screaming the N word. Matt, were you the drunk person in front of you? No, Because I could see you being so drunk that you're yelling at someone in front of you and it turns out that it's It's just me? No, 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 no. I I had had two beers. I limited myself because it was a very... The thing starts at like 2.30 in the afternoon and it went until 9.30. So it's a very long day. Um, And my buddy Ken got so upset that he just started yelling at him. And there was like a minute left in the last fight. Oh, dude, it was... It was... Yeah. With that being said... I don't think I'll ever get that drunk in public. And I don't think I've ever been that drunk in public without everyone else being drunk around me. I've definitely been drunk to the point where I've not remembered what happened, but I would like to believe that I've never been so drunk that I've been screaming the N-word at anybody. No, but usually, and I'm sure in the situation where you were that drunk, you were probably, it was like bar clothes or later. And Oh, after- no. I'm Most of the times that I've gotten that drunk, it's been in a situation where I was in a a more private setting okay so it's not unreasonable to be that drunk in the setting you're in not nine o'clock in an arena full of people where no one's that drunk i whatever fuck that guy he probably doesn't feel very good about himself today Probably doesn't feel good about himself at any point in time. If that's no. the, if that's where his brain goes to as to how to enjoy himself. Oh, God damn it! Paying ten dollars for a, a sixteen ounce can of Miller Lite. And yeah, that's not good. In just in general, I, I at that point in time, I would think I'm leaning more towards being the woman who goes in and randomly pulls out catheters. I do want to point out that we were walking distance from the Miller Brewery. And it is ten dollars for a can of Miller Lite. Oh, where it tastes like you've been pulling out catheters. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Anyways, we should probably talk about JF's books and stuff. Should we? For anyone, well, yeah, there <laughs> might be someone who's listening to this that was not familiar with you before, did not hear your other episode, or. So the plan is to drive away, listeners. <laughs> Bold move. If they've made it through the conversation about Corey's penis, they're keepers. Eh, touche. Yep. That's how we weed them out. We talk about dicks. Or fast food. Specifically. Or, fast food. <laughs> or both. 
Oh, Corey, speaking of fast food. So last night we went to Burger ah. King on the way home. <laughs> just, um, they have this cheesy chicken thing. It was crispy, spicy chicken, bacon, two forms of cheese. Not worth it. Okay. The Burger King we went to, the, the slice of cheese was cold, so it didn't melt. So it was just weird. And yeah. So I, I assume the two flavors of cheese that Burger King has are uh, yellow and white. Mi- misery and apathy. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, pretty much. It was it was wet so cheese. American cheese. Yeah, it was wet cheese and American cheese. I'm I'm a bit baffled. Like I keep seeing, um, and this is where I really out myself as an old man. I keep seeing these videos that just seem to try to top each other as to the weirdest, most disgusting fast food. It used to be just about like how much bigger can we make the burger, and it's how many eggs, how much bacon can we put in the burger. Yeah. Now today there was one with the burger that was on a rainbow bagel with marshmallow, but it's still Ugh. cheese and meat in there. Can we stop this? Like, at, at what point does this no longer in, entertain? Like, why why is American this a menu food? item? Um, Cor- what do you have against consumerism? What do you have against uh, a, a booming economy? I like gimmicky foods, but there's there's a line. So the marshmallow. I like gimmicky food that someone taste tested and can say, no, this is actually good. It's not just everything we had in the kitchen. This that, is food yeah. that a six year old makes. Yeah, and, and that's what I'm. That's kind of where I was going with that. Is like when you marshmallow and shit. Like, I know I know peanut butter on burgers are a big thing. I got a buddy who really likes it. Um, I do too. I don't. It doesn't sound good to me, but I'm sure it's fine. Um, that's like that there's that place in, in, uh, Chicago that has, that has all the metal burgers. It's like, shit is very over the top, but it's over the top and really fucking good. Like they basically made a turkey burger that was Thanksgiving, which I don't know what you do on the third Thursday of every November in Canada. Um, go to work. Usually we regret that our Thanksgiving is like a month past. <laughs> Our, our Thanksgiving is in October. Oh, I, I like the idea of spreading holidays evenly across the year. And November is like a dead zone for Canada, which kind of sucks. Like we've got nothing. We've, we have Remembrance Day, but we don't even get the day off oh. to remember properly. And we're you not. As... <clears throat> no, we don't. <laughs> Eat dogs. Yeah, that's it's 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 like a double-edged sword in the States with Thanksgiving, Christmas, and New Year's because they're like the last six weeks. Um, you're at work for like all of two and a half days. Uh, that sounds terrible. Well, it's it, but then when you go back in January, it sucks because it's like because you need to catch up on everything yep. forever. Yep. Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, like I um I have not been in my office since December fifth, and I have to go back tomorrow, and then I'm there for three days, and then I'm in Madison on Thursday, and then I'm off on Friday, and then it's Christmas Eve and Christmas, and then I'm there for three days, and then I'm off for two days. And then it's the next year. Sounds complicated. Um, all I know is that I'm not there a whole lot. But you love your job, and that's what's important. Well, he loves his job because he's not there a lot. Yeah, ah. I love. Yeah, I love my job because I'm not there. If I was there more, like I would just like. It's because you know, the distance makes the heart grow fonder. Yeah. You have to find that happy medium where um, you're there enough to get your work done and everyone remembers your name, but you're gone enough that you don't want to burn it down. I kind of make a point of people not remembering who I am at work. I'm, I'm, I'm happy for my situation where I am 
I have a job. They know what it is. They bring me things to do, but they keep interaction to a minimum. It's pretty cool. IT, it seems the best thing you can do is have planned panic. Uh, so you show up on the days when everything goes wrong and then you can sit there and save everybody's lives and they think you're the greatest person in the world. And then all the rest of the time when you're not there, nothing's going wrong. And so they think that you've done a great job. Something like that. Sure. That, that's what I want. Yeah. I just want to win the lottery. And then yeah, I'd like that too. Make pizzas for a living. This three I months of pizzas? not having work Both. is, uh, is pretty good. Sorry, I was trying not to throw up. <clears throat> um, yeah, I'd lose my mind if I were you right now. I, I did this for uh, almost two years when I got laid off from my job before I worked at the last place. And it, it does get a little crazy. But this is, I was thinking about this earlier, moving out here, it's like the weirdest vacation. Uh, because... I, we we got here. We we don't work, so responsibility wise, it's pretty low. But the choice of this as a vacation makes no sense. It's it's like, oh yeah, I wanna I wanna take a, a bunch of time off. Where are you gonna go? Oh, Michigan, right on the cusp of, of winter when everything's gray and bullshit. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'd like to move into a house and spend the first two weeks with nothing inside of it, uh, so that we can't really accomplish or live at all. Uh, but it, it, I'm just like, who would fucking do that? Oh, some fucking Silicon Valley asshole would do that. And they probably want it cut to about a 10th of size because there's only him and his six kids anyway. Wow. And then it's like just gone on and we just, we go around the, the place and we, we do our grocery shopping. We go visit my parents a little bit, but it's, it's constantly like at some point we go back to normal. Right. But this is our normal until we find jobs. This is, the way things are. And then when we find jobs, we're still here, but I'm still in my head. Like I'm going to go back to my house in California, going to go back to my job in California and all that normalcy still exists. And it, it just hasn't really hit me that it doesn't. So you're going through this. Is that, is that why you have a pulpit now? It's like, this is a weird phase you're going through. The pulpit was kind of a, wow. I'm, I'm, we were trying to find a desk for Aaron for her art stuff. And the place that we went to, they happened to have a pulpit. And I looked at it and I said, I have to have this. That was just like, I don't know why it never occurred to me that I needed a pulpit before, but I have to have this fucking pulpit. Like, I don't know when I'm going to start recruiting all the young 20, 20 years old girls to, uh, to be in my cult. But when I do, this is going to be important. Uh, my my ability to have a cult was a long time ago, and it was my plan when I moved to California. Was that was what I was going to do? It, it didn't happen. I don't know if you're kidding or not. I'm really not. I think I told my friends that. Why are you moving to California? I cult. want to start one of them UFO religions, and they just like okay, it makes sense. Corey, Corey, Corey. People greatly underestimate the rich, textured history of cults in Quebec. We have some. <laughs> We have some crazy shit here. I just emailed uh, uh, last podcast on the left saying, "Guys, there's a cult here. You need to you need to talk about because I want to hear the fucked up voices you're gonna make imitating the leader of that cult because he was weird." We've got we've got I think one of the 
biggest international UFO cult is, uh, was born here. We've got sex cults, suicide cults. We've got everything. Mm, sex cults. Yeah, I don't have the I don't have the drive or wherewithal to do a sex cult. Uh, is there a cult about poutine? I keep hearing great things about your poutine. <laughs> um, no, that's just a national religion. It doesn't count. Uh, and yes, my cult should definitely be covered in gravy and cheese curds. <laughs> that sounds very American. Sounds like it hurts yeah. my heart. And that's the other thing, Jeff. You gotta you gotta understand that in America we don't have universal health care. So it makes sense oh, for know. our restaurants to try to sell you a coronary extra value meal for six bucks uh to wipe down the population so that we can eventually have Medicare for all. That that's the only way it's gonna happen. There's too many of us otherwise. I I, I figured that north of the, the Mason Dixon line it's covered in gravy and south it's covered in ranch dressing. Oh, <laughs> Uh, yeah, but it, <laughs> you got to be careful of those ranches in the south. <laughs> I know. Ah, oh, God, your country is so both cool and vile. So I'm very jealous right now. I, I, I'm super jealous of a lot of aspects of the U.S. and super weirded out by others. Like, I love I love the geography. I love the variety in culture. Like, you, you guys managed to have 50 different states that all have different cultures, and that's amazing to me. Meanwhile, here in Canada, I think we have three different cultures. Like we have East Coast, West Coast, the prairies. Um, I'm sure some other Canadians will say, no, 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 the prairies. Prairie provinces have very distinct cultures. I'm sure that's true. Is it just the way that you say sorry? They're like different <laughs> Not sorry even. dialects? No, no, no. no. We, we all apologize for dumb bullshit. But at the same time, like obviously like – the, the, the amount of stuff that is a problematic with the United States is clear to most people. Ah, there's nothing wrong with us. <sighs> there's something wrong with every country, like even well, Canada. Yeah. There's we, we get like, oh, you guys have it so amazing. No, we've got shit that's gone wrong, obviously. Like just this, this stuff to fix here too. At I just we're consistent that I mean, if you're if you're gonna find something good in one of those separate sections of like these people, uh I'll have this accent or whatever. There's going to be good people there and bad people there. You know, it, it, it's even in California, it's it's more sectioned out than I think a lot of people realize. They just think California and it's all Hollywood in their brains. Uh, but there's a lot of variance between North Cal and Southern Cal. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say the, the most people don't realize that there is a certain California that is different. Right. And, and so and then there's a bunch of very rural areas of california too that are but uh, close to being the same branch as arkansas or whatever and it's okay but the same deal is you go there and you're going to find that there's going to be the people that are exactly what you imagine and then the people who are very very opposite of them and so at least i like the consistency of inconsistency oh no absolutely and, and quebec is very much like that like i have i have a few friends that live most, if not all, of their lives in Montreal, or they moved to Montreal from other places in Canada or from the United States, and they think that the province of Quebec is Montreal. It's all super cosmopolitan. Everyone's very progressive. There's a gay village. Everything is super chill. But the more you move away from Montreal, the more you realize that Quebec is the Alabama of Canada. It becomes 
ridiculously racist and homophobe the further you move from the big metropolitan areas to the point that my grandmother was buried this uh December she died December she was buried and they live in the boonies up north and when my mother was making arrangements she was asked well the preacher is black is that a problem <laughs> which is a baffling question to ask someone like my mother or anyone that lives in the city here well to most people there's racists everywhere but but most of like I a lot of people will think no, that's not a question that can happen in Quebec. But no, it's a question that happens everywhere in Quebec except in the city. So yeah, it's very much like how you describe uh, California. Like it's not everybody thinks it's one thing, but it's quite another. The yeah, there's you- a section. There's a section of people who will have a problem with the fact that the preacher's black. The other section will have a problem that there's a preacher. It just exactly. it's, it's it's such a it's but, nice that we can always be against each other. Oh, yeah, there's always, oh, today I, I just railed into a bunch of people for, like, all these uh, intro, introvert, extrovert things. How, oh, only introverts like books. No, I know a bunch of, why are we inventing new labels to separate people by? Do we need that today? Like, is that really a lack? Did, did someone wake up this morning and say, there's not enough division in this world. Let's, let's draw a line between the introverts and the extroverts and make it about book in silence. It's fucking annoying. Can we talk about movies? Well, we still got to talk about your books and stuff. And then oh, talk about man. the movie. If I dodge that question. Well, at, uh, least, at least talk about what you've done or don't. Or don't. I don't really give a fuck. I was just trying to give you the opportunity <laughs> to. Okay, okay. I'll, I'll talk stuff. about my books very, very briefly. Because I not much has really changed. I think last time I was on, I was promoting A God in the Shed. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, is, that book is still out. It continues to be out and available um where's the sequel the sequel i'm currently editing the sequel i was supposed to spend the day editing the sequel i spend the day doing other things because i'm dumb and <clears throat> oh we i should note that jf messaged me at seven o'clock last night and asked if we were at seven or eight and i said seven and he goes oh a minute ago i said well tomorrow not today i'm very organized <laughs> and i was like oh my god did i accidentally send him for saturday and not sunday no he fucked up not me no, no, absolutely. I, I owned to that immediately. I didn't even have to check if I made the mistake. I assumed I did. No, and no, I, that's, was, I, I just got very nervous because I was obviously at a, a, a fighting event. Were anyway. you fighting? No, I was watching people fight. Oh, okay. No, a fighting uh, event is our Thanksgiving, JF. <laughs> this is awesome. So... Yeah, no, I, I'm work, I'm finishing up the sequel right now. It's going to be called Song of the Sandman. It's uh, if, if I can just say that writing sequels is a lot more difficult than I thought it was. And the first two drafts I wrote were not good. <laughs> they were one of them was extremely fan service. Like my readers that like that read the first book would have loved it. But as far as actual quality of writing it was terrible. And another one was just kind of off the walls and didn't work at all. Now, I'm working on a version that functions. It's fun. I'm finishing up the edit. It's going to be coming out this summer, uh, probably in June or July. We'll have an official date soon enough. We already have a cover. It looks lovely. So it's in the works. It's going well. The book used to be optioned for television by Skydance Media. We kindly told him to fuck off. 
not really like there's there was some conflicts and i don't i i don't know how much i'm allowed to go into detail like in the public forum but um it's essentially we parted ways for i, I think the industry term is creative differences <laughs> uh i'm not supposed to say that the book is optioned by another company but the book is optioned by another company so that's still in the works so basically since the last time i was on podcast of terror my writing career has changed nothing. Uh, it's basically we've recycled everything that we're working on. I have a book coming out. It's a different one, but still in the same series. And yes, the book is option for television, but by a different company. But we're still a status quo. Can I be in your TV show? I have absolutely no control <laughs> over don't. anything that's av- uh, happening every- anywhere. Well, put in a good and word also- for me. Also, optioned means that there's like one in ten chances that something's going to happen. So, well, either way, not holding my breath. Hey, that's still a step in the right direction. It's a step in the right direction. It it, it allows me to learn a lot about the industry and look at how these kind of things happen. Like, I I have a c- contract that I got to read about what is included in the option and all these official details and all the. The little footnotes. So it's it's super interesting to know what goes into making these things. Um, but it, it it's more of a learning experience at this point until someone actually green lights something and then it becomes something else. But it's it's a lot safer for me to say I'm learning than to actually attach any hope to it for the time. Do you, do you feel that you are at a point yet where you might start approaching new projects with the idea of like, I'm writing this and I'm hoping that this gets optioned and I'm going to have it more built around the idea of being a TV series or being a series of films or something. Or is that still a ways away? Because I know that sort of becomes a thing. Um, yes and no. Cause I've, I've, one of the things I've sort of discovered through the process of writing the sequel specifically is kind of discovering that I, I don't, like I've always been one of these shitty little artists. It's like, oh no, I do what I want because the muse and all that stuff. But at, at the end of the day, like, what would I? Obviously, yes, I want to create things that I enjoy creating. But at the same time, I'm noticing that what I pick, what project I pick to work on, might have different audiences. So recently, like I needed a, a bit of a palate cleanser before really getting back into the editing uh, of, of Song of the Sandman. And I started writing a project and that project to me screams movie. Like it would be a good movie as far as I'm concerned, more than any other projects. But meanwhile, I've got another manuscript that I'm trying to find a place to publish and I, I don't know if it's something my current publisher would enjoy because it's a little more, how to say, a little more gossamer, a little more willowy. It's like more literary. It's, it's, it's not something that translates to Hollywood very well. So I know I kind of have the interest in writing both. I don't think I would ever take a project and try to twist it into something meant for television just because I want that sweet, sweet option money. <laughs> but I, I I know that I can sort of pick projects between various things to to match. So, so let's say someone would say would ask me, hey, can you pitch us an idea for a television series? I would have the material for it. 
but I wouldn't take my material and change it to for for that pitch. Yeah, so it's it's a little bit like the Brad Pitt thing of where he would do a couple movies that were big blockbusters, and then he would get to quietly do something that was more for himself that he he wanted to do as an actor that he found was more interesting. But then you'd see it's like, oh, now I'm going to go make a few paychecks so I can stay relevant. And and I, I get that. I, I appreciate that. And I know that there's a, a few authors, uh, some of the people I follow on, uh, they used to be the, uh, oh, I forget what they're, they're old. They're the Story, story Stop Studio now, but they used to have a different podcast, uh, self-publishing podcast. And and the Sean uh, would, they would write a book series that would be like, this will fund them for however long they need to. And then they would do one literary book uh, in between the the big series to kind of like, this is the story that we've, we've been wanting to write. This is much harder. It takes longer. Uh, it's not going to sell. And then we're going to go and we're going to write something that's about aliens showing up on Earth and stuff. And I, I like that idea. But do you feel like because you have a name recognition now, and and I'm not saying that you're you know Andy Weir or anything in that level of success yet, but you do have the ability to say, I've not only had a book published, but I've also had my book optioned uh, and, and now re-optioned as much as you can say about that. Does that become something that gets you in more doors? And so you find yourself picking those kinds of projects because it is easy to just say, I write what I want and I I'm following my art or I'm following my, my muse, which that's frankly what I do because I haven't had any success outside of my own writing of just for me. Well, the, the way I see it, it's, it's, it's the, the industry is getting very complicated. Like you, you have to look at it. I look at it also kind of in a, in a chronology of my, my career. I'm, there's a portion when you're starting off where you can write whatever you want because nobody cares. So you're better off writing what you feel like writing because that's how you're going to find your own voice and that's how you're going to explore your own style. But then when you start getting some attention and publishing a few things and and sort of getting actually into the industry, there's a long stretch of time which could last the entire rest of your career where you can't simply write for yourself. Hopefully you've established your voice and you got your foot in the door because of that voice early on. But the moment it starts becoming about money and it becomes a bit more of a job, you have to think of your audience. And that's that's one of the things about writing the sequel to God in the Shed was I had notes from my publisher and I need to keep in mind that other people are investing in this and it's not just about me. It's, it's people that are putting time, effort, and money in trying to make my vision come true. So I need to take that vision seriously. And yes, I can still write what I want, and everybody encourages me to do that, but to do it in a way that is going to take their interest at heart also. So that period can last forever unless you become super gigantic and then you kind of become that Brad Pitt where you can call it your own shots. And at that point, then you go back to being able to write whatever you want because you're Stephen King and it doesn't matter what you write. People will publish it and they'll like it or they'll pretend to like it because it's toxic to say they don't. (laughs) 
Uh, Beat just made a point that I was going to say too, which is the Richard Bachman books. You know, King started writing stuff under a different name uh, because he wanted to, I, I assume, to escape being just Stephen King. J.K. Rowling did a book under a different name, and uh, that book probably would have gone undiscovered for years if it hadn't finally been picked up. Hey, J.K. Rowling wrote this. Well, and, and the, the thing is, I don't think you can as an author ever really go back to zero because you're already like you're already in the system you already like the, the moment you've published a few books and you're someone like jk rowling or stephen king if you write a manuscript and you put a different name a different name on it you already know who to send it to like you're not starting at the bottom of the barrel you still walk in with all your contacts and your experience so you change the name on it yes that puts you back a few steps, but you're not starting from zero. You're C. Thomas Howland's soul man. I'm not sure I get that. Good. Nobody needs to get that reference. Matt seems to have gotten it. Um, Yeah. So I, I'm like, I'm not, I'm definitely, you you seem to presume that I might be a bit further ahead in my career than I actually am. I don't have the possibility to just walk up to any publisher and say, hey, here's a book, publish it. I don't even have an agent. Um, But uh, all, all that being said, I am learning more about the industry through these opportunities. So, and yes, it does look oh, much better on a cover letter to say I've got two books published and one of them is option for television. How much that's going to open doors for me in the future, I don't know yet because I haven't really pushed hard on that aspect of my career yet. Well, you also, and and excuse me if this comes across in, in a bad way because it's not intended as it is all. We're amongst friends. Well, yeah, but you- You're did- an asshole. Right. No, uh, you true. did a life engineered first, mm-hmm. and then you did a God in the Shed, and a God in the Shed got uh, picked up through a different contest through Ink Shares. Uh, well, actually, God but, in the Shed got financed. It, it, it did not succeed at the contest at all because I oh, put okay. no effort in promoting that contest. <laughs> but a God in the Shed kind of took off in, in a broader sense, I think, than Life Engineered, and you were doing the sequel to a Life Engineered and. Uh, with Arch Android, but it seemed like you were getting pushback to do the next book in the uh, God and Shed series. Yeah, no, absolutely. And and the the problem the problem is that the, these are both sequels, right? And like I mentioned, sequels were a lot harder to write than I thought they would be. Uh, I wrote Arch Android. I'm not satisfied with what I've got right now. I wanted to push it further earlier this year. And unfortunately, kind of got caught up in working and reworking and rewriting Song of the Sandman. And the thing is, right now, my publisher is more interested in publishing Song of the Sandman because we have a certain rhythm to keep to sort of feed the the, the Hollywood machine also. If they do go to series with this, I can't have... Like, I, I'm not J.R.R. Martin. I can't J.R.R. Martin my way out of it. And I need to actually supply material and write the books and have this kind of work in in parallel. And and there's a lot of marketing that goes alongside to it. Um, we're planning on having Song of the Sandman come out this summer. 
we would love to be able to announce before, after, or very close to the same date if we do get like a television contract. It's nice to have all of these things happen roughly in the same time. Because it keeps you like on on the lips of everybody in the entertainment industry. It's like, oh, his second book came out. Oh, his, his first book got optioned. Oh, this and this and this. And then they can see the possibilities of where things keep going. It's that momentum that you've built up. Exactly. And and it's also a good tool for when they want to try to get the, 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 the television show done, being able to say, yes, it's based on his first book. His second book just came out. We've got this director attached and we're we've got this actor that's interested in playing. We've got this, this script that we've got that, 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 that we're proposing. Would you like to put this on Netflix or on Amazon Prime? Like, would you like to give us money to actually make this? It looks better than just, well, this guy wrote the first part and who knows when the second part's coming out. Like there's there's very there's a lot of industry stuff that's tied to it. And having worked in marketing for about two decades, I am very much aware of the importance of that. So as much as I want to play the artist in all this, I it's 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 been part of my brand as a writer to um push the seriousness of the business aspect that at some point you can't just take it as a hobby and act like an like, and act like it's a hobby. You have to act like it's a job if you want it to become a job. So I'm at that point right now and it's it's a lot of fun because I get to put the energy into it, but it's also a lot of stress. And because you don't just do one thing. You have an actual day job. You also have uh, at least two podcasts, although they come out sporadically. You have your gaming tastes. You are very uh, big in uh, the network of friends and stuff that we share, and I assume probably a lot more people. You go and do a lot of conventions. So it's not like you're saying that, oh, I've got to, I've got to produce, I've got to produce. And you've got nothing but free time to just keep producing. You put forth that effort hardcore to make that stuff happen. And I, as, as someone who tries to tell stories too, I understand how frustrating it is when a story gets away from you. Uh, I just haven't had the pressure that you've had of like, well, I can't just let the story get away from me right now. I made promises that I have to keep. I have a responsibility to, my editor to the readers or whatever um, still keeping yourself at the head of that list. But yeah, it, it is kind of a, a rough thing because you obviously you wrote a God in the shed, which I love that book. And I've told you that before uh, you wrote a God in the shed open ended to lead into something. Uh, but there was also the question of how hard and how fast you're going to have to come at where it was going to go next. And when you were going to get to it changed very quickly when it became a success. So I, I get the idea of a sequel being tough. Uh, it's just, it's funny because you, you kind of victimized your own success with life engineered by having a greater success with a God in the shed. And you did the thing that new authors should never do, which is you wrote in two completely different genres. <laughs> I'm, a marketing director. I know for a fact I have a specialty in brand integration as a designer. There is nothing I am more qualified to do than tell someone not to split their brand. <laughs> and it is the first thing I did as a writer. 
because I'm terrible. <laughs> I'm just the worst human being. Um, but in, in, in a way, like it's a gamble that might actually pay off in the long run because I might not, I might be able to escape being typecast as someone who only does one thing. Um, obviously right now what my publisher wants and what people want more of me is more horror because that's what I did. And I've got a couple really, really cool things, I think, uh, in, in the horror genre that I'm, I'm exploring that I want to play with. And I'm having a lot of fun. Like I could stay in horror for a very long time and not get bored with it, but I'm, I still want to finish Arch Android. I've got like, that's my next project. Once I, I hand in Sang song of the Sandman is reworking Arch, Arch Android and getting that published. Um, it's, it's going to be published under ink shares and, uh, sort of lasers already agreed to put their, their logo on it. So it's going to have the same look and feel. So it's going to be great, but yeah, no, the, the, this, the sequel thing, it's, it's made me very eager to write a standalone book. Yeah. <laughs> a book that doesn't have any sequel. There's no expectation that it's going to continue. It's its own self-contained story that, would be great yeah i have a a love of continuing stories because i've read comic books my entire life and it's always been things like here's 25 years of x-men stories and uh we we took that long just to tell you who the x-trader was from the bishop storyline uh i i love the fact that characters can continue on and think can go on forever but it's really hard to write that way uh, especially in a way that's satisfying for a reader. And so I, I kind of find that I enjoy doing short stories because I can take an idea real quick and try to bring it down into something that's just the essence of it and and complete it and then ignore it for the next 10 years because who the fuck buys short stories anymore? Well, that's the funny thing. Like short stories are kind of seeing a revival. There's a lot of magazines that are basically being resurrected in online versions tours buying short stories novellas are kind of making a comeback too um audible does their audible originals which are basically novellas in audio form someone has to write those it's 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 a messed up industry that keeps changing like it's hard to say what's what's working what's not these days but it's actually it's exciting go ahead matt no i think it's a lot so obviously i have much more uh in music than you than books but it seems like more and more bands are putting out eps versus full lengths these days um people's attention span is becoming short um they want it they want it now so it's easier to record five songs every year than 10 songs every year and it's easier to listen to five songs right now than ten songs. So to to do, to only have to read or listen to a novella, or only have to watch five or six episodes of a TV show and be able to do it all right at once seems to be more of what people are going for than waiting five years for you know a seven hundred page book. Yeah, I I I think what we're seeing actually is um, people are enjoying the fact that there's variety, like. People still want to binge like three seasons of eight episode shows, but they also want to be able to watch, like you say, like just five episodes of something and be done. We want to have options. And basically what, what that means is that the, a lot of the stuff that we never got, mm-hmm. now we're getting, and it seems like that's the hot stuff, but it's not like the other stuff is going away either. No, 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 no. By no means. Um, 
Beatmaster said, blame Spotify and listening habits. And he is 100% right. Spotify has ruined it for everyone. And even me, and I don't know, JF, with you and Corey, you guys as writers, like, I don't know if your listening habit or your reading or whatever habits have changed given the, the new way to consume media. But um, I pay for well, a Spotify membership and I stream all my music, but I still buy physical copies. But my primary is listening to Spotify, even though the, the, the artist gets nothing for it. But I also still go to shows. Which... Well, it goes back even further than that, though, because it was Apple's the one who said we need to be able to sell singles as opposed to whole albums. We yep. need that flexibility. Well, they used, and, to, and they used goes... to release singles on CD. Right. Yeah. And it goes back to when people used to buy albums and then started selling them back to music stores. And that economy changed things a lot because it's. People were buying it for one or two songs, and they would listen to those two songs to the point where they got enough out of them, or they copy them over to their computer, and they'd sell them back, and that tanked the industry. It, it it certainly makes sense that shorter albums, something quick through, being in someone's head headspace uh, as a like constantly new things from them makes a lot of sense because then you don't get forgotten. It used to be that albums would come out every five years for them, artists. Uh, at least in the U.S. and then in uh, now, now you have Britain to. And, if you're not on a, a two-year release schedule, people are going to forget who you are. Right, but it's also because the the way that we make that stuff is a lot different now. Because it used to be you had to get a studio space, you had to have a producer, you'd have to book time with yeah. whoever and and get all that, and then the band would get together and write a bunch of songs over a couple of months and try to get that stuff recorded. And then sometimes it wouldn't work or where they do something wrong and they'd have to go get another studio space and do it up. And notorious drunks aside, it, it was a huge deal to make that happen. But now you can sit in a, in a garage with pro tools and mm-hmm. make an album and do it all your own. Or you can sit and make shows every week and do a podcast, or you can write short stories and publish them to Kindle unlimited and just keep putting stuff out there. People can read it off your blog. You can do what Andy Weir did, which is write a book, chapter by chapter and publish it online and build up an audience. And then everyone gets excited when the book actually comes out, if it's good. And uh, there's, there's so many differences into how the, the mechanisms of making these things has changed. And on top of that, there's a hunger for content because we are constantly in a space of, I can listen to this on my phone. I can listen to it in my car. I can watch it on TV. I can watch it on my tablet. You're never out of, the you're never in a quiet area because you constantly have something that can fill up that quiet. Thank God. If I have to hear my thoughts, um, <laughs> the, the interesting thing, and I, I did uh, way back when I applied for a job as marketing director for a, a company local here that does web comics. So I wanted to understand what that would imply. And I did a bit of a market analysis as to how uh, successful web comics monetize. And one of the things I, I discovered, like most, most companies, they will sell you a product and then to attract you, they will give you merch. Um, IT is probably a good example. You go to an IT trade show, you walk out of there with five lanyards, two water bottles, a bunch of mouse pads and a bunch of shit they give you. They give you all this stuff so that you'll spend time at their booth and they can sell you other crap, like actual software. Meanwhile, if you look at creative content, web comics is a good example, but it also bleeds into music, is they give you the content. 
It's like, here, listen to my music on Spotify and I'll make like a tenth of a cent every time you listen. So it's not real money. And if you really like it, buy my T-shirt, headgear, water bottle and come to my concert. It's basically I'm going to sell you the merch and the promotional items, but you can take my product for free. And it is the same thing for it's the same thing for web comics. Like anybody who's going to try to charge me for a web comic is not getting my traffic. But if I really love your web comic, I'm going to pro- buy the print version and I'm probably going to buy a, a bunch of tie-in uh, tie-in gear. And the money is kind of weird because you don't need that many people percentage wise to be really into your stuff to make a living that way you just need to find people who you love your stuff enough to give you between 10 and 100 dollars a year to get your shit so it's it's a bizarre economy and the weird thing is that books are in between right because people don't get your books for free unless you intentionally give them for free. So there's still a market. There's still a part of the industry where you can sell your product and get a percentage on it. Depending on who your publisher is, it might be ridiculously low or it might be very high. You can self-publish and sell your stuff and then make even more of a percentage. Or you can go Kindle Unlimited and give your books away and hope that you get enough page views that Amazon pays you. Or you can publish for free and try to make your money otherwise by building a community. It's super weird and it's difficult to navigate when you just want to write. You don't want to have to learn how an entire industry works. And that that's the thing is that what we've given up by becoming self-creators who who control the the sales, who control the the marketing, who control everything else, is the people who were really good at that and wanted to do that. We don't have to pay those people anymore. Uh, we, we've taken away a lot of the middleman, but it also means that we have to suddenly make that our business as creators. And not everybody's good at that. Not everybody wants to be good at that or not everybody wants their time to be dedicated to that. And it's fine. if If like you were saying earlier, if you're just happy to be there and guided by your muse and write what you want to write or record what you want to record, that's all okay. But if you want success, you need this other portion of it. It's why I never diss the idea of having an editor. It, it, the, I, the concept of, of writing is great. And and the, the freedom of like, I just make the story up and, and go with that, that's beautiful. But if I want people to want to read my shit, yeah, an editor is kind of fucking important. And a lot of self-published writers don't think that's true. Uh, they think, well, that's just one more person getting their hands in my business and and ruining the art. And I, I get that you feel that way, and you might not be wrong for you personally, but for a lot of other people kind of necessary well it's 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 one of those things that like i 90 percent disagree like there's a 10 percent of me that's like yeah no i get it like you don't want someone to change what you're doing but the thing is you're unless you're really like i say if you're saying that you're writing for yourself then fine write for yourself and read your own thing and that's great you have fun if you're writing for an audience you can't I mean, you can sure pretend that you're writing for yourself and just giving people the privilege of experiencing you. That's also great. It's not stupid, but whatever. (laughs) If you're writing with the intent that other people are going to read, 
you probably like there's nothing wrong with testing that with someone. Now, the fun thing when you're an illustrator is I'm going to do a full illustration, see how people react and then adjust for the next one. Books take longer. So you can do a sketch, a first draft, and then have people critique it and adjust. And you don't, and, and that's another weird thing. Like you get an editor, what an editor tells you to do, I say, let me correct. An editor doesn't tell you what to do. An editor gives you suggestions, points out things, and tries to guide you in a direction. But that direction isn't, like a good editor will read your first draft, understand what you're trying to accomplish, and help you accomplish it better. And what they tell you to do is not, they're not orders. Notes aren't commands. They're conversation points. A good editor is, you're having a dialogue with him. When an, a good editor that says, hey, this character, I really don't think that his dialogue works in this chapter. He's not telling you, hey, change the dialogue or I flip the table and quit. He's saying, Explain to me why he's like, have a, you can have a dialogue with the editor. Like the editor says something you disagree with. You can say, okay, well, why do you want me to change this? And maybe the suggestion they give you isn't what you want to do. But if they explain why they think you should change it, you can change it in a different way that suits you, but also solves the problem. So, I mean... It's, it's an artifact of having been in marketing for a while, having been an artistic director and basically given that kind of feedback to the other designers that I understand that the goal of an editor isn't to change things to make it their own. And I wish a lot more writers would understand that because that would reduce a lot of friction. There was a problem with some editors, especially at big publishing companies where they're all part of the same conglomerate and it it is... And when you look at what Hollywood does with the amount of films, it's like, oh, we want you to make a movie that's like this, or we want to, we wanted to feel, we want to make a trailer for Suicide Squad that makes it sound and look like Guardians of the Galaxy, uh, because Guardians of the Galaxy did really well, and uh, we think this could bank on that. And and it there is a case to be made for sometimes the people who tell you to change your art aren't thinking with your best interest or your art's best interest. They're thinking of their, the bankability for them, but that's why you have to find a good editor. And even if you don't have an editor, that's where beta readers comes in. That's where having your, your friends that you trust checking your stuff comes in. It's always better to get a second opinion. It's just how valuable that opinion is. Cause you're going to wind up hearing shit from somebody anyways, when you get to the YouTube comments or the reviews on Amazon. <laughs> And that person is going to be an asshole. Someone down the line is going to shit on your work. And the worst are not the people who hate your work. It's the people that find actual flaws. And you want the people who like your work to find those flaws before the people who hate your work find them. Because then you can correct them in advance. But, I mean... You're right that there are editors that are going to try to change things, and those are bad editors. And yes, there are people, like especially when there's a lot of money involved, that are going to try to change things to make it, quote unquote, more bankable. And those are not necessarily that they're bad at their job, more like they're... That becomes kind of complex, too, because the moment you... This is like... 
writing a book and producing, say, something for television or movies is is different. Because writing a book, you're an artist and you have a support staff, if you will, in editors and publisher. Making a television show or a Hollywood production of any kind, you're an artist in a pool of artists. And that becomes more complicated. Because, for example, I wrote A God in a Shed. Now it's in the hands of a couple of screenwriters who, if the show gets made, are going to be writing. They'll be writing the pilots. They'll be writing the. Uh, they're going to be the showrunners. They're artists too. I could be, like on on one side, I can accept that they're artists and they're going to have their own vision, and that vision is going to uh, sort of uh, it's it's going to have an impact on how they interpret my work, and I can respect that, and I can foster and guide that or i can be a, a, a prima donna and say no i'm the only artist but that's taking on a lot because that means that okay well i want to i, I don't just want to be the writer of the book i also want to be the screenwriter i want to be the director i want to i, I want to micromanage the art the actors like i want to control everything you can't control everything because at every step of the way there's an artist the stylists, the set directors, the, the photography directors, they're all artists. And if you're a writer and you're an artist, you know how much it sucks to have someone tell you how to do your job and not allow you to have any creativity in what you do. So who do you want to be? Do you want to be the artist that collaborates with other artists to bring what you made to life through the prism of their eyes and their own artistic vision? Or do you want to be an asshole? Uh, in this case, uh, I'd want to be Ingwe Monstein, <laughs> the, the guitarist who starts bands and then doesn't let anybody else in the band do anything. Ugh, sounds terrible. First oh, of yeah, all, it's, it's, it's a lot of work. Why, why would anyone do that? It just sounds like a nightmare. Because the, he's the best. He's just uh, he's the greatest at everything. No, that that's exactly right. It, it's, it's, so that that's kind of what I was leading to is that you have a step in the direction of having more control or, or having that, that doorway opened you and everything. And you can lean into it to go more in that direction, or you can say, Oh, I just want to continue writing my books and, and make these the best that I can. And then someone else picks it up and makes it into a TV show and decides that the cat is now an emu because the whole thing takes place at an emu farm or whatever. But I still get to write the sequels to God in the Shed and good luck trying to make that work now, assholes. Uh, it's just with the amount of content that is craved out there now, it seems more likely that you have the ability to get stuff picked up and get optioned because there's just so many more places where it can get shown. Is, But it's still a matter of, is that important to you? Well, that's the thing. Like, do do what do you want your career to be as as a writer? Like, do you want to be a writer so that you can sell? Because there are people that's basically what their job is. They go into Hollywood studios, they pitch thing, get him optioned, and it never gets done. They just have these rolling options going on all the time, and that's their career. And fingers crossed that one day something gets picked up. It, it really depends. Like there, there's a career for everyone. You can be a pitch artist. You can be a writer. You can be a screenwriter that 
you you don't need to write books. You can just write scripts. It's I'm at, at the end of the day, I personally just want to tell stories. I don't think I'll ever really want to sit down and just write scripts. Uh, I like writing books. I like the, the the art of writing long form things. And to me, it's entertaining to see how other people are going to interpret what I want. Like to a certain degree, I want it to be a little different because I want to be, I, I, I don't want, if there's a television show for a guy in the shed, I just, I don't want it to just be an ego trip. The book is always going to be there. I want, I kind of want to see something different. I want to see how someone else saw the story and have that told to me so I can be entertained too. And do you have a problem with if you don't have the third book done and they get past where you are with the second book and they, they do a Game of Thrones George R. R. Martin on you? Um, I don't have a problem with it. I don't think it's going to happen because I am not going to take seven years to write it. And like chronologically, even even if they were to start filming tomorrow, by the time they get to the content of a third book, that thing will have been published for a year. So I'm not I'm not really worried about that kind of that, that kind of thing, even if it were because that's one of the interesting things is that it's not like they did their own thing without consulting George R. Martin. Like he gave them information. And I'm sure they had some back and forth like he knows what's going on. And it's the same thing. If they were to start doing things like that would go beyond what's in the content of the book. And, and again, like let's, let's keep in mind, there is no TV show. This is all speculative. But they would probably, and I expect, ask me like, hey, so what does happen? And I, actually, I did write sort of a, a synopsis of the whole series to like of the big events. So they do know how the entire series ends. So it's it's not like they would be going into it blind. And that's what I wanted to get to. How does the series end, JF? Ah, well, you'll just have to get the third book when it comes out. When it comes out. Probably in 2021. Is there really... what? Ha- okay, are you ending at three for sure? What happens oh, if... Abs- oh, absolutely. But what happens if it turns into a big thing and you know, there's a TV show and they want Spin-offs. more? Spinoffs. <laughs> right. Spinoffs. It'll... Or other books. Like, I'm... I... I wrote a three book series. Like the 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 idea is that after three books, this storyline ends. It can't stretch much longer. Yeah, longer at all. And that and that's something that was very briefly brought out uh, when talking to my publisher. Say so. What I, I what happens when you do like a third or a fourth book? Is that there is no fourth book. Like I don't have a fourth or fifth book in me for that series. I have a lot about that world I want to explore, and I yeah. sure would love to go back and tell other stories with the same lore and same background. But that particular storyline ends at three books. Parallel universe prequel, uh, God in the Shed Discovery. <laughs> Can we get a a triple X adult parody too? The, one oh God! Weird... <laughs> oh God! I've seen pictures of of some of the weird parody, yeah, porn stuff. It shows up sometimes. You're fucking great! I, there's some demonic Pikachu thing that I saw in a BuzzFeed article or whatever, and all I'm thinking of is the is the cat, 
and it's oh geez why did you go in that direction you... because it's the only place to go <laughs> it's the most worst of the characters place in your books are teenagers and so it's like i don't want to talk about that i don't want to <laughs> so think wait, about wait, that. wait wait it's like no not teens bestiality and necro and yeah. necrophilia with, with a twist yeah with a twist <laughs> Uh, I just assumed that everyone would fuck in the shed. All right, that's it. That's it. You did not read the book, did you? I <laughs> did. I, I listened to it. I listened to it. And you know that. It's just. I know. I know. I'm kidding. <laughs> it's a lot of beers ago. So I hope your I hope your next book starts with a recap of the first. Well, that's an interesting thing. Like, if you want to get into nuts and bolts, one of the most difficult things is how much how much do I recap and how much do I trust the readers to not have to have too much of a recap. Well, think of every show that comes out on Netflix now. It starts with... Season 2 starts with the recap of Season yes. 1. It just automatically goes into it. Yeah, yeah, but you need to have that be very condensed. It needs to be integrated into the story. Like, I can't just have like an entire chapter that's the story so far. It needs to flow naturally and organically into, this, into the, 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 well, the book. I mean, Marvel started doing that a few years ago where they put a a recap page at the beginning of, of each issue of a comic. And then they kind of backed off from that. But when I was a kid, it was always just sort of, you jumped in wherever the issue was. And if there were longer stories, you kind of had to, to pick up on it, but a good writer would make it so that it was still an inviting issue for the new reader. They gave you what you needed to be able to understand where the story was, who the people were. And then it just kind of went on from there. And it may have been a little bit oversimplified in storytelling, but it worked, and and comics sold better, I think, at that point in time. Now it's everybody writes for the trade, and a story that should be two issues goes on for 10 to 12. And it doesn't really invite people who weren't already experts in the continuity to come and be a part of it. But in a novel, you've got a little bit more room to play with that. Yeah, it's... It's, it becomes a balancing act. It's really about how how much in your face the information needs to be. So what, what I've found kind of works is try to remind people of the elements from the first book when they become relevant in the second book. Which is weird because it also allows me to get away with not touching on certain points that aren't relevant to the second book that people that were unresolved in the first one. So there's certain things that don't necessarily get a nod in the second book until the third book because they just don't have any impact in the second book. But those can be the things that you do short stories for that you offer to people when to sign up for your mailing list when they finish reading the book. It's like, hey, if you sign up for my mailing list, go here. I'll send you this free short story uh, about such and such character that you might have questions about. Oh, and that's 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 an excellent point. And that's something that I wish I had a bit more time to do. Um, it's probably something I'm going to start picking up once I'm, I, I hand in this manuscript. Well, speaking of pretentious artists, <laughs> we should probably talk about this movie. <laughs> that's a good sag. <laughs> um, I'm really curious to hear what Corey has to say about it because I knew he was not he didn't like this movie before we ever got into it. Um, so I'm curious what he didn't like about it. Also curious well, what JF thought about it. Yeah, I want to, I want to get, usually I won't do this, but I do want to start out by asking JF, JF, did you like the movie? 
Uh, no. <laughs> okay, so that's that's where I want to start because, unfortunately, and I've been saying this map for a while. Um, right before I moved from California out here, uh, we were trying to sell my house, and I got incredibly sick. I got a lung infection because of uh, the massive amount of fires going on in California, and I couldn't go to work. And I'm staying in bed and I'm, I'm talking to a doctor. And then I get a call from our realtor. We got a text from a realtor saying, hey, we're going to do a house showing. Can you be out of the house between 1 p.m. and 4 p.m.? And I am sick in bed. Aaron's off. And it's like we have to leave because we're trying desperately to sell our house. And somehow a, a sick nerd <laughs> in or one of the rooms is not a selling point right yeah they they, they don't want you in the house when when they're showing it to other people no, no, I, I get that I get it, it. it it's it's weird uh and and matt i think remembers this or, or told me a story about when they were looking at houses and somebody was just asleep in the bed That's uh, yeah mm-hmm. so yeah so we had to leave and aaron had been talking about this movie hereditary that she'd been hearing people go on about and so we went to uh, theater that we don't normally go to that was kind of like the downtrodden last bastion of independent films because they don't have air conditioning and uh, everything oh, is really sticky. And we went to see this movie and I'm not in the right headspace for it. And it's two hours and it's not at all what I was thinking it was going to be, which was very limited. I didn't know much about it going in, but I, I expected it to not suck. And so we left. And the first thing Aaron always asked me when we leave a movie is like, what did you think? And I tried to not say what I thought until she said what she thought. So I didn't discolor her opinion of it. She's like, that movie was a piece of shit. It was two hours of staring at a piece of shit. And I'm like, that's kind of how I feel. I wanted to make sure it wasn't just my mood. I hated it. So I'm giving you this to say I really wanted to do this film when we had someone on who loved it and could defend it. I can. And I feel bad not doing that. I can defend piece of it because I I didn't think it, I didn't hate it. But I didn't like it. I there's a lot that they did wrong, and there's a lot that they did well. There's some that they did right. Uh, the performances of some of the actors was really good. Shockingly, like the the kids did a better job than the adults, in my opinion. Uh, Millie Shapiro, who plays Charlie, is super creepy, and I think that's why they put her so much in the trailers, even though her role is minimal. The other kid did a fairly good job of uh, what's his name, Peter. Did a very good job with the role he had. I think what bothers me is that is I think the director just absolutely just messed it up like he 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 had a bunch of visual ideas that he wanted to play with and he shoehorned every single one of them into this movie whether it made sense or not and that killed it yeah it was his first uh major film directing he also was the writer of the script so this is the the artist who who 
it's is in charge of his own vision and everything. And that's he, that's fine, but it, I I agree with you. And there were there were specific things that even on a rewatch, I was like, the fuck you thinking? Uh, but yeah. we'll get to those. Um. So how 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 are we just dissecting that? M- Matt, what's your opinion? <laughs> I have a feeling this was not a Matt Stein movie. <laughs> no. Um. I had talked to obviously Corey and I had talked about it. Um. I had wait, t- wait, did the discussion go something like that, like like this? Like, ah, oh, Jeff wants to do Herod. Herod. No, 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 no. no. Yeah. When, when you mentioned it, I was like, I really wanted to watch. I I really wanted to watch this, so I was I was up for it. I knew Corey didn't care for it, but I had heard other people thought it was great. Yes, um, a lot of people, and it's rated very high by critics. The audience is I don't believe, not as high, but yeah, but I don't believe that shit anymore. Right. Um, no, cr- cr- critics have very long ago um, expired all credibility. There's zero reason to give a shit what critics have to say about anything anymore. Mm-hmm. Well, let me sit back for a second because a couple of people, uh, Melissa, who who runs Horror Geek Life. I think is a big fan of the movie. I want to say Anthony is a fan of the movie. Anthony Rouse, who is a filmmaker and artist and everything. Two people that I respect immensely uh, and come at it, I'm pretty sure, with a different eye than what Matt and I do. And that's one of the things that I love having uh, discussions with Melissa or Anthony or whoever about stuff is, is that they do see these things from a different perspective than than we do, and that's why I always say that Matt and I are not film critics. We're we're just two guys who talk about shit, like horror movies and stuff, and say whether or not we like them. The the problem I find with film critics, and this kind of goes also with book critics, but film critics more is they they have a business to run, and this is why I kind of like smaller book critics and film critics, those that don't have as much of a bottom line, because. Now and and you see that like there there's you see that a lot especially in superhero movies it you have to hate the movies that your audience hates and you have to love the movies that your audience loves like you can't just say you can't give your own opinion as a critic anymore and that's why critics are worthless now because they're just trying to hold up a mirror to their audience instead of actually voicing a, a, an objective evaluation of the media they're judging. So that that's why I say that critics are worthless. I also think the industry is so different now because it used to be that it was important to hear from a critic because the going to the movies it was a bigger deal. It was more of a dedication to go see a film. You would often get dressed up. You would you would base your your entire evening around it, and there weren't so many different things to see that, and and you didn't have like the the two month stopover between it being out in the theater and showing up on video on demand or on DVD. So it's like, okay, I'm going to go see Venom, but I really want to make sure that Venom's good. Uh, if I'm dedicating my time to this, as opposed to, I don't know, that Nutcracker movie that came out. I, I want to know that this is the right choice. And now it's like, well, fuck it. I don't care which one I see because it's going to be killing time for a couple hours, eating some popcorn and coming home and watching something probably better on Netflix than both of them. And, and we're also in a place where if I want to know, let's say if I want, if I'm going to enjoy Venom, I can ask specific forums of people who have tastes like mine. Did you like it? 
And if yeah. they liked it, I might like it. Meanwhile, some critic that works for a newspaper or a website or ain't it cool news or some other piece of garbage, their opinion doesn't necessarily fit with what I culturally like to enjoy. It's just, oh, it oh, it's a film school opinion. How why do how do I care about your film school opinion? I'm looking and I might be looking for something that's elevated and very, very deep and like Miller's meanings. I love these kind of movies, but also I might just want to shoot the shit and watch Venom kill people. And <laughs> unfortunately, critics right now are unqualified to do that. Hey, even if they're smart enough, good enough writers and they know their shit enough to do a good job, they don't have an incentive to do a good job because they need clicks. So anyways, well, I, I, again, I want to point out that both Melissa, Anthony, uh, our friend Tori, who also uh, works for a bunch of different uh, horror writing sites and stuff like that, I, I don't want to say that they like the movie or not, but they are people that even if I disagree with them, I 100% trust them personally uh, because I think that they're, they're horror fans and what they're fans of kind of transcends a bigger type of film than necessarily like I like things that are like cabin in the woods. I like stuff. That's a little bit funny. I like stuff. That's a little bit weird. Uh, Matt likes stuff with uh, wrestlers in it and <laughs> all of that's okay. And, and, and they, I think look at stuff with a, a bit of a broader scope, but I believe right. them when they say that they love something because I think they just love more stuff. And well, I think that's great. And, and here's the thing: like, I probably would believe them too. I, I unfortunately don't know them. The people I don't believe is like, because you said like these are horror critics. Yeah, um, they're, they're people who are either make horror films, produce horror films, or review horror stuff like left and right, and, right. and certainly are trying to uplift the genre. But I but also they're, they're not just some favorite. dick on Kotaku who is trying to get a bunch of clicks. Is right, what I'm exactly. That that's what I mean. Like, and, and that's what I mean, like that I can go to forums that specifically cater to the kind of critique I'm looking for is I can go to I can go to a, a, a website that evaluates like I can pick a critic, a critic that's specific to what I want. Or I can diversify and go to a Facebook group that likes the things I like. Like there's so many other ways of getting an opinion about and, and to a certain degree, that's why I kind of less want opinions about movies and more information about movies. Yeah. But anyways, back to... Um, yeah, can I talk again, guys? <laughs> Who are you? I don't know. Yeah, you I don't... almost never want to have a conversation about this shit, so fuck off. Hey, I'll tell you what. I <laughs> traded a lot of bottles of beer while you assholes were talking. That is weird. That's a true story. Um, <laughs> I don't remember where I was. <laughs> Oh, good. You interrupted us with so a, just the well dark and stormy night um, and my penis in my hand. OK, so um, it's a weird mantra. We we haven't we haven't recapped yet. Right. No, we have. not OK, so we're not at a specific part of the story. So my overall complaints to this movie, the acting is fucking terrible. Um, I didn't think Tony Collette was awful. I don't know who that is. That's the main lead. The mom. The or mom. The, OK, because I thought the son was a pussy. I, I just the way he cried made me upset. Um, I, I get it, man. Shit's shit's going wrong. Maybe you shouldn't have smoked a bunch of dank ass weed and swerved for that deer and then lopped your sister's head off. 
Um, you maybe you shouldn't have told her to eat fucking cake because so you, you wanted to smoke weed with the pretty girl. Yeah, then I'm gonna get dank and try to get my dick wet. Yeah, um, which was uh, so it was really funny the way that that panned out. So I'm gonna skip right to that scene when they're at the party and the chick is like just going to town on the walnuts. Alyssa was watching that part with me and I said, "Hey, it's a big pile of death because she's allergic to <laughs> nuts." And then he's like, "Hey, eat the cake, eat the cake." And then she's eating the cake and starts breathing. I'm like, "Oh my god, she's allergic to nuts." And she's like, or, you know, there's a couple of things. First of all, how fast was that cake made? That that's true. They're they're just chopping. That's true. Also, who chops their own nuts? Not only that, but who chops their nuts by playing like a fucking snare drum? Also, do you know what I'm saying? Like who takes a knife and just like goes to town on it? No, there's there's a lot about the foreshadowing that was either weird or way too much in your face like the moment they mention like the kids eating chocolate she was looking all weird and it's perfect and then like the mother goes is there nuts in there it's like ah, well that's gonna be a thing and there's a lot of these elements that are just they're not foreshadowing in in a subtle interesting way so much as just like immediately telling you this is going to be a thing in the story later but yeah. one thing that that does the opposite of that for me, which is the mom making the miniatures being the artist who, who's a miniature never mom. pans out, never pans out. <laughs> it's it's never like delivered. None of it. Oh, and as a miniature painter, I was very upset with almost every one of these scenes. Oh yeah. There's so much. First of all, I mean, and I get it. Like if you're a set designer, the brushes that you have at ha- on hand are not meant for details. You're, building sets and you're building props and these are large and they're not meant to be seen in detail but when you have a close-up of her using a dollar store cheap ass acrylic fiber brush or whatever like just the worst freaking tool and we're supposed to believe like she's even got like the little goggle thing that almost no miniature painter ever uses so that she can see more detail but she's using like a, a terrible brush it just annoyed me so much like i i nerded <laughs> out so hard at that i pounded on my desk like, no no you don't get to wear the the the, the 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 glasses that make you see detail and then use what is essentially a wall brush to paint your miniatures you fool it's terrible okay now i'm incredibly glad that jeff chose this movie to watch oh, I'm, i was so upset <laughs> there's there's so much about like the the the, the, the miniature thing did not work at all. All right. Not Man, not not in a hobby but, way, not in an architecture <laughs> building way, nothing. Well, that's the thing. Like they didn't give an explanation as to why she did it. Um, although it seemed like you were just supposed to assume that it was like some sort of cathartic way to handle her her sads. Well, she's supposed to have a gallery opening, so I'm, I, I assume that this is a, a, it's an art. Like she's not doing this as actual recreations. It, it's it's art. Yeah, but all of it is based around her own life. So everything that she's doing for this gallery opening thing is the stuff in her life that she's seeing, mm. which I don't understand how, especially because her mom had just died at the beginning of this. They just go to the funeral, but she's already got this thing planned out and it's all going to be about the things of her mom in the hospital dying or when her daughter is killed. It just keeps like reflecting what is happening to her in the current and I'm like, well, that can't be what the plan was going in. The, the the timeline is very fuzzy. Again, like the director did a terrible job of this. The the timeline is super fuzzy. 
these things you're i i i think it's supposed to be on a much longer timeline than what it's assumed like it feels like the movie happens in about a week or two but then it's sort of mentioned a couple of places it's over a few months and uh, it's very fuzzy like the the chronology is not very clear and the acting is terrible (laughs) i did not hate like like i said like the two mo uh, i say i don't i didn't think the kids did a bad job with the acting um i don't know the son just looked stoned all the time which i know he's supposed to be a kid who gets high but that's the only look he has is being just non-reactive. My favorite line in this movie was, don't look at me with that face on your face. Right. Yes, but that's screenwriting, and that was bad. And I don't I don't think the lead, like the 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 the, the Steve and Annie, the two uh, the two adult main characters did not translate. I, I think the guy who, who played Steve had a couple of act out moments that were okay, but generally speaking, like his character was very, very bland and in the background, and it, it was difficult to relate or understand him at all. Yeah, um, there were several points in in the story where how did he not how did he not call like an ambulance and have his wife committed like immediately? How like especially like they they mentioned that there's an incident of her sleepwalking and almost killing herself and her kids and. The moment she starts acting out, nothing is said. Like, it's like, oh, I don't know. We'll, we'll pass over. I guess she's just upset about her mom. It's like, no, it's none of that is believable. And you don't feel any emotion from him. Um, yeah. The other crazy old lady, she Judy. was convincing. She, Yeah, she did a good job. Like, it's really like the two main adults, like Annie and Steve, that just eh, didn't really, I forgot, as far as the acting, didn't I, do well. I forgot Corey warned me about all the dick. Oh, until yeah. <laughs> all the dicks showed up. I clapped him when I saw all the dicks because I thought, Matt's watching dicks. <laughs> well, I was like, we're, he must I, be so upset. Dude, it was like it was like 9, nine not even, 8.30 in the morning. And I'm watching this <laughs> and I'm like drinking coffee. I'm like, oh, there's this weird guy. And there's a dick. I'm like, oh my God, there's a dick. And he's just standing in the, in the dark doorway smiling, smiling. With his dick. With, <laughs> and, but like, and then it just like continues on. And then it's just like, Random dick on the wall. Gonna <laughs> clap my hands. I, I just, I don't mind that, but it was, it added to the unnervingness in the end scene of there's all these people just kind of creeping around and they're just waiting. They're just waiting for this to happen, but you have no fucking idea what's happening. And and I'm going to, I'm going to finish the movie without having gone through all the rest of it. By saying, how did you feel about the very final scene of everything's happened, it's culminated, Charlie's now for some reason in the body of her brother because that had to be a case to summon up this demon that she's also, so she'll click at things with her tongue. But in that last scene is someone telling Charlie and Peter's body from off screen, what the fuck just happened? And then everybody's screaming, hail Payran or whatever. (laughs) From off screen, you're just looking at this kid's face and having the whole plot explained to you in the last two minutes to kind of like give you a closure of, yeah, shit actually happened. You didn't get to see any of it, but fuck, there you go. 
my, my impression, and this is a lot of the movies like that, is wouldn't it be creepy if we did this and they did it? The the dollhouses in the miniature, it's only there to be creepy because, hey, small things that look like real things are creepy. Like everybody's scared of dolls. Like what's even scarier than dolls? A bunch of miniature dolls. And oh, well, wouldn't it be creepy if the, if the mother like was on the ceiling watching her son discover her burnt husband? Yeah, there's no foreshadowing of that. There's no explanation as to why she's able to do that all of a sudden. Wouldn't it be creepy if she banged her head on the uh, on the, the attic door? Like, Which is visually very cool. All of it is visually cool taken on its own. Like even like as, as upset as Matt is, like even having a bunch of old <laughs> people in the shadows with their dicks hanging out or tits hanging out, like That's it's weird. very weird and unsettling. And good job on that. You got to look at their knees but, to see it. <laughs> but the thing is, it's all disjointed and it's not stitched together in, in, in a way that's entertaining. It's just, it's creepy as its own little thing because at some point the writer director had that idea in the shower that, Hey, if the headless body floated into the, in, into the, 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 the tree house, wouldn't that be weird? I guess. Yeah. Should we call why? it a triple header by the way? Because all three female people in that lineage lost their heads yes why isn't that explored more why don't they play with that because like, that's I don't interesting was the mom's head chopped off after after she was dead right she she had her head in the in the funeral yeah and yeah. so they chopped her off her head and then the mom cuts her own head off again a very visually creepy scene but makes no sense as to why she's doing it and Charlie's head is the only one that came off while she was still Charlie, presumably, and in an accident that we don't know if the accident was caused deliberately or not. We have to assume that it was because otherwise none of the shit fucking happened. But here's the thing. Of all the deaths, it's the only one that's actually accidental. Right. There's nothing like if it is not accidental and we're supposed to say, oh, no, this was the cult's plan. Then there's no hints of that. There's no foreshadowing. There's no Chekhov's cult thingy going on. Like it's the it's a death. that's just a series of unfortunate events. And there's yeah, there's nothing that shows that they did that, that they were able to make that happen. Nothing that shows the power that they have. Oh, we planted a. Like we figured out that she was going to eat nuts at this party that she wasn't supposed to go to. And then we figured out that he was going to drive back and then suddenly see a half dead animal on the road and, and swerve and just happen to hit her pole while she's got her head out trying to breathe. It's such a, it's such a contrived thing to happen in a movie where everything else is supposed to be laid out in a way that it's like, we did this, you know, we, we are secretly doing the machinations behind the scenes and stuff. It's like, but nothing shows us that that was part of their machinations. It's just, well, cool that we needed Charlie to be out of her body so she could be put into Peter's body because she couldn't be a girl. And the only reason we really know that is because at the beginning, Charlie said something at the funeral to the effect of grandma wanted me to be a boy. But we don't know why. We don't understand the, the reasoning that she has to be in a male body to do that or why it has to be Peter or any of that. It just like, no, this is how it's got to be. Exactly. And and the thing is, like, you could, like, 
that's not bad that they say that early in the movie. But you need to build on that. You need to give us like, okay, well, this is clue A. We need clue B and clue C. And eventually, we, when we get to the reveal at the end, we go, oh, yeah, all the clues were there. But we don't get that. We don't get this connective tissue that goes from grandma wanting me to be a boy to <laughs> she dies and now her brother is possessed by her. Like there's, there's so much that's, I, I, I want to say left to the imagination, but I don't think that's it. I don't think the director wanted us to have anything left to our imagination. I just, cause then he would have sort of fed that imagination instead is just, I don't think he actually knew or knew how to tell it. Yeah, and there are two scenes that are someone trying to convince someone else that this is all. I know it's ridiculous, but you got to believe me. And I'm just going to keep holding your arm and and pulling you towards this dumb idea, and then they just go along with it. And it's Judy telling the the mom at first, like, "Now I know you're going to think this is crazy, but these people helped me bring back my I don't remember if it was son or grandson or whatever." And, right. and so she brings her in and they do the little seance. So she's gone from, I've done a seance once and I've seen my grandson too. And now I know how to do the seance and I'm going to show you how to do it. And then you go home and involve your friends. And it's just like Pictionary, except uh, bringing the dead back to life. <laughs> and then and then Tony Collette's character does the same thing with her husband. She's like, I know it sounds ridiculous. I know it sounds crazy, but I need you to burn the sketchbook. You have to do it. You have to do it. And he stops for a second and says, I'm not going to do this. This is this is fucking stupid. You're insane. I'm going to go. And she's like, well, I'm just going to throw it in then. And then he blows up on fire. Again, defying exactly everything that she said that she knew 100% was going to happen. It's going to burn me alive. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to die. And then it's like, oh, no, you died. Why? I don't know. Exactly. There's no, there's no reason to explain why it shifts from burning her to burning him, even though she's the one who tosses it in. It's just very convenient for the plot. And... One of the things that bothers me as far as director, like screenwriter and directorial um, decision making, the both times that the ritual is for, performed for the first time, either by Judy or by Annie, it's it happens off screen. Like yep. when she contacts her grandson, like, oh, we did it and now I can show you how, but we never see how she did it. And I guess that's fine because she's not a main character, but why? Why didn't she bring them? Like, there's a whole cult of these people. Like, why did she not bring her to see other people? And then Annie does the ritual on her own, which I feel would have been interesting, maybe right. informative, especially if she does it with the cult people. Like, there's a lot of there of opportunities to give us some of the information that we were just lamenting that we didn't get. And these opportunities aren't taken advantage of, and it makes it it makes the the the, the film suffers for it. Yeah, it, it's I, I've seen comparisons, and I, it makes sense comparisons of this film to Rosemary's Baby. But in Rosemary's Baby, we get revealed what the cult is. We we see the cult members. We understand what they're doing. It it all gets played out pretty well at the end as to what happened, why it happened, everything. And in this, we get a fucking scrapbook of pictures of the grandmother being with the cult and that's about it until all the cultists show up at the end naked and and just obviously there for matt's amusement hmm. <laughs> and there's so many good pieces like th this is a movie that should have been 
a lot more fun for me because there's a lot of elements that really fit into the kind of stuff I like in horror. Like I not a huge fan of, of, of humor horror. Like I like, I like it when it's really obviously humor horror. Um, Cabin in the woods was kind of like towing the line a bit too much. It's too tongue in cheeks. That doesn't work quite as well for me. I do like horror. That's very like that's, that tries to be psychological or whatever. I like call stuff. I like weird shit. And this is weird shit. And it should have worked for me. And it does in some aspects. But where it's frustrating is where it's missing some of the pieces. But the pieces that are cool are really, really good. Like at the end, like the 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 the, the music that's in the the, the 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 in the background while they're sort of doing their their exposition to Paymon, like it's it's all very optimistic and it's it's cheerful music, and that's so dissonant with everything that we've seen so far that it works for me. I loved that. But then there's all these plot holes and weird things. Anyways, it's, it's just, and, and like I say, another uh, artistic direction I thought was really cool. And it's early in the movie when I still had, like, I, I still thought this was going in a good direction is uh, the treehouse. The first time we see the red lights in the treehouse we're in a place where we don't know how supernatural the story is going to be like, and we don't know what it is. And it turns out that it's just like the heaters from the, the, the obviously foreshadowed, Oh, it's cold in here from about two scenes past, but still it's very interesting that, you know, you've got like, like this demonic red light. Like I thought that was an interesting decision. And later on when it's not the heaters, but like candle lights and it's a different lighting that you see, like it's, some of it is so well stitched together while other pieces aren't. It's, I think that's what makes it more frustrating than it should be for me because I feel that if he would have either let the screenwriting go to someone else or the directing go to someone else, the end product would have been really good. Yeah, there were, there was a scene where Charlie's going out into the, like towards the woods and there's someone there burning stuff. And I don't know if that scene happened or was just in her head. Uh, sorry. Uh, at that mm. point, the, no, no. The, the part where Judy shows up outside of Peter's school and is screaming at him to say, get out of your body and, and uh, you know, make way for the make way for your sister, essentially. And no one else at the school is reacting. He's just sitting there looking a- across the the campus of, of where the lunch area is at the school, across the busy street to hearing her screaming at him. To get out of its spot, but nobody else there sees it or reacts to it. So, is it in his head? Is it not? I don't know. And it doesn't make any sense. It would be one thing to say, yeah, you know, we're trying to drive him out to to make room for her, but you can't even tell if it actually fucking happens. It's just a scene of this to make us, the audience, react. But I can't tell if there's any buy-in in the movie. No, like, exactly. It's it in. If if I were to, and I mean, that's always easy to be armchair screenwriter or armchair director, but if I were to go back and sort of redo the movie, I would probably take a, take out a few of these scenes that are just unsettling just for the purpose of being unsettling. And instead, I would try to make Charlie as a demon once she's dead more of a buildup. Like have, because right now, like, I mean, she's a weird kid and she chops off a bird's head. But apart from that, 
we don't get a sense that she's supposed to be Paimon reincarnated. Like we don't get at any point the sense that she's supposed to be inhabited by this demon. And it would have been interesting to sort of build up to that. Like the, the, the apparition in when she, 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 her ghost sort of appears in Peter's room and then the head rolls off. And that's a very creepy scene. It's very interesting, but in a certain way, more of that and more of maybe not malevolence, but what about coveting his body? Like we get no sense of that. There's so many opportunities to establish that, okay, well, Charlie's a weird kid. She dies, but she was actually this demon. And now we've got this slow buildup where the demon is hovering around the house and doing weird shit. And the weirder it is, the more it seems like she's it, it's coveting her brother's body. While at the same time, the mother is like being manipulated by this cult to also give the body to the demon. Like all of this works as a story, but it's the story's not told. It, it doesn't work together. I think it's either because Charlie is always innocent in in this. She just comes across as innocent. She's curious, but she she has frankly a kind of an autism error about her that is the bird head and things she never comes across as having any kind of cruelty or or any kind of like i'm i'm an evil god in waiting she's just seems like an innocent kid and she suffers because of her brother being an ass who who doesn't pay enough attention to her because her mom says you're fucking up around the house, so I'm going to send you with your brother to this party. You know, it all happens to her because of the of the people around her. But then when Peter becomes possessed by her, he seems like Charlie. He doesn't seem like a demon king that's supposed to be granting power to all these people. So what is in his body at that point? It's this innocent kid. So what is it they're worshiping? The idea of this thing? Or is Charlie supposed to develop in that? That's <laughs> are, what we are don't they have. Wrong? Wait, right. that 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 actually would be an interesting twist. Like they thought they were bringing a demon king into like this kid's body, but actually, you know, no, it's just his sister's ghost. And we, no we went power. to the wrong house. It was it was 18th Street, not 18th Avenue. And it was oh, we did we did man. the ritual wrong. We fucked up. It was supposed to be rosemary, not sage, that we ground up in that potion. Oh. Man, every time, every time with that, I should have gotten menthol instead of regular filters. It's really sucks. We should stop giving the ingredient list to Kevin. <laughs> Fuck Kevin. Kevin standing there in the doorway with his dick dangling. <laughs> and that's another thing. Like the, the 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 members of the cult, the background members of the cult are like just nameless they're only there when they need to be at the end they're all like chanting like there's 50 of them but there's eight it's just so weird <laughs> well there were a bunch outside of the treehouse i think and then when he got up in the treehouse there were some that were already staged in there so i think they were all kind of like waiting to see the moment where he gathered i re-watching this i was able to look at it with the eyes of i know what's going to happen and I picked up some of the clues that they put out a little bit better. Plus, I wasn't, like, incredibly sick. <laughs> I I bought into some of the, the, the plotting and stuff a little bit more this time. But it's still... Like, I told Aaron when we left the theater, that was a movie that pretended it was a horror film for the first hour and a half. And then tried to make up for it in the last half hour. 
It, yeah, I mean, I I appreciate the art house aspect, like the trying to make it all weird and and, and bizarre and pretty. But you you can't do that without giving us the story. And again, I think that's where it kind of it falls flat. Like I didn't hate it. It's not like I walked out of this like feeling like I wasted two hours. I still like the parts I enjoyed. I enjoyed a lot. I thought there's a lot of potential, and it did fire up my imagination, which is always a good thing. But well, it's a good thing for me. Um, but at the end, if I were to analyze the film and say, is it good or not? Yeah, no, it's not. Matt, what do you? Uh, aside from typing a novel, loads of penis. What? Well, what do you think? I mean, I pretty much told you everything I thought. The <laughs> acting was now. terrible. Um, the ending didn't make sense to me. Like. What makes sense because they force feed you to sense in the last five minutes. Well, I I, just, I thought the ending was stupid. Like, yeah, I don't know. I don't I don't You're like how wrong. it ended. I don't like how there was it was ninety minutes of like um, cloak and daggers, and then thirty minutes of being like, here's every answer to any question you may have had. Like, yeah, it just bad. yeah, that's know. exactly it. Is that? It's it's an hour and a half of it's not a movie about a cult to it's a movie about a cult. And it's not a movie where we have things that are happening to us that, oh, it makes sense now that it's a cult that's doing it because it never makes sense that they did that. It just yeah. becomes this other thing. It transmogrifies. Uh, maybe it was the Charlie Peter conundrum of of like, well, it used to be Peter, but now in this life hour, it's, it's Charlie. I don't know what the plan was, but it seems like it's a couple different stories that were stitched together and, and they really, they just shoved it straight up your ass in that last couple of minutes to, to hit home. Like, no, we, we knew what we were doing and now you see it. Now we're smart, right? It wasn't smart. No, it's, and, and there's, again, like it's the missed opportunities, especially for the whole cult thing. So yeah, the cult is only present at the very end but it could have been there from the very beginning. Like, can you imagine the story told differently where Annie goes to this counseling thing, which for some reason she does behind her husband's back for no explainable reason. Like it feels like something you say, Hey, I'm going to that thing because I I'm having trouble dealing. And like, yeah, I if, had... they even, if they had explained it by saying she's afraid to tell him because she's afraid that he'll react to her being mentally unstable or something. Yeah. And it would be the opposite, though. Like, it's like, hey, I, I know I'm mentally uh, unstable, and right now I'm in an emotional place, so I'm going to a support group. Yeah, no, do that. Well, that's the thing. Even even when the dad like <laughs> makes a comment about, God, you haven't been going to those movies, you've been digging up your mother. She had every opportunity to be like, no, I've been going to like talk to people about all this shit. And she just kept her mouth hanging open like a dumb fuck. But Because her acting was bad. <laughs> But think, think of the story going this way instead. So she goes to the support group, and this support group secretly only exists because they're trying to manipulate her, and she slowly discovers that. Like, I, you like, I like that better. So, but yeah. that's what I mean. The opportunities are there to tell the story instead yeah. of having a bunch of creepy scenes and then saying, oh, no, we had a story all alone, all along. So yeah, it, it feels like they, they try to paint it like this was all really well planned 
but there's nothing that connects those dots to make that plan have actually worked. It's a lot of of just hoping that this shit comes together and then it comes together. And and there's there's some things in like I don't know if you noticed uh Matt probably didn't notice cuz he was looking at the penises, but Corey, if you okay. noticed that like one of the teachers is in the cult at the end. Yeah. And oh, I, I have I have a feeling that the way that the director wanted this to be it's like oh people are going to watch this it's going to be kind of confusing in the david lynch kind of way and then they're going to rewatch it and then they're going to pick up on all these details and then they're going to think it's genius it's like well you need to get that first part right before you expect us to do the second part yeah the the revelation of of the teacher being there the different people who who could have been a part of the cult that you see in different scenes of the movie that would all be great if there was any kind of reasoning as to why this cult was doing this or how they did it but there's not and so it's just like oh we planted this thing and aren't you impressed now i'm really not impressed i'm not impressed that you focused in on the the cult symbol on the necklace in the first scene i'm not impressed by the revelation of the welcome mat that the grandmother had made for all of her friends and apparently didn't give some of them away uh, because they're all packed up in the things. That's because you didn't describe any of that happening. You just kind of showed us afterwards and said, oh, look, there it is. Ha ha. You're not looking smart trying to make us look stupid. Uh, you've got to be way better as a storyteller to do that. Exactly. And, and I don't know, I... I still feel that there is something in there that would have been great. Like the materials are there to stitch together a very interesting story. Just the fact that you and I have been like, we've been able to trade theoretical ways of making this into a good movie shows that there is like something to do. It just wasn't done. And I think that makes, I think that kind of makes it worse. Like if you go into a movie and the movie is bad because there just wasn't anything there to begin with, it's like, all right, well, they had nothing to work with. But this time is they had everything. They had all the elements. They had all the pieces and they just couldn't make it work. It's, it's even more frustrating. It is kind of like the, the scenes that stand out visually are compelling. And, and that's, that's it. Looking at this, it looked good. The the way it was filmed, the way the cinematography was, the the color usage, all of that, it was something that was to the eyes, okay, I can stare at this for a couple hours, but I just felt poorer for having watched it because in the end, the visuals weren't enough. No, exactly. That's it's it's a good way of putting it. Although there are some scenes like there, there's two problems as far as the, 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 the cinematography goes to like some scenes drag on for too long. There's a couple of them that drag on for too long in a purposeful manner to create unease. And I thought that was well done. Others are just eh, just too long for being too long. And there's just, there's missing scenes. Like I said, like the two rituals that are missing is problematic. And also we never get a feel. <laughs> so, okay. It is Peter goes to a party with his sister. His sister eats nuts because he's negligent and terrible or just stoned or just wanted to get his dick wet, whichever. Yep. Yep. On the drive home, he gets his sister decapitated. And because he's a stone and because he's traumatized, 
he just leaves the body in the car and goes to bed and doesn't sleep and just waits for his mom to scream because she finds her dead body. I don't like that they just assume that they asked the son about what happened too. Right. That's the scene that's missing. Yep. Yeah. How like, no one has a conversation with the, the brother. No one. <laughs> there's no point where there's an investigation. It's like, oh, wait, you were under the influence when this happened. Yeah. Mm, right. Although he never cleared that bong. So I can't imagine he got very high. Or so I read on the Internet that you clear the bong when you're smoking it. <laughs> <laughs> how we don't know how long he'd been smoking. That might have not been his first hit. Like he probably wasn't even inhaling. Probably that not. That stupid face on his face. <laughs> yes. <laughs> no, but that so, right there, what you just described—the the kills his sister, comes back, waits for the mom to wake up and react because he can't deal with it. He's just emotionally so fucked up at that moment. All of that. I think is the basis of a really good movie and, and being haunted by that, uh, the, the whole family having to deal with the fact that, that happening, it's not a traditional horror movie. It's an emotional wreckage of a horror movie, but it makes a really compelling horror film. And even if you want to toss supernatural elements, and even if you don't want to focus on that, just showing us how, cause it's it's weird because it's a movie that goes out of its way to create uncomfortable scenes. Like just like the, that the long ass minute where he's in the car and just can't bring himself to look into rearview mirror. That's well done. That's super yeah. creepy. It's yeah. effective as hell. Also, the scene it's, where he's sitting in school and he looks up and he sees the rearview mirror with the headless body in the back seat. I like that. Yeah. That's there's I mean, it's it's a movie that doesn't seem to shy away from make showing us, hey, this is really uncomfortable here look at it yeah and, and it's horrifying more, yeah and one of the more horrifying scenes they could have done is the confrontation between the parents and the sons like what the fuck happened to your sister and now they steer clear from it and we have no idea how that family dealt with that extremely traumatic mo- moment in their lives well they have shitty dinners fucking terrible and the mom the worst scene in the movie the mom is looked like as as the most horrible person in the world because she's pissed off at her son for killing his sister and not fucking owning up to it well mom what do you have to say now well i say we should go for a fucking ride (laughs) yeah we should maybe have a discussion as to what the fuck happens like you forced me to take her I didn't force you to fucking kill her. I said, take her to a party. <laughs> like, yeah. You're the one who said it was a school thing. <laughs> like none of that, that dinner scene doesn't make sense. It's, it's weird. And it's not the uncomfortable. I was just talking about It's just uncomfortable as an un, unbearable. And Matt's right. Like the dialogue in that scene is just the worst. I, I didn't like the way he was pulling the meat off of his chicken. That I fucking like the, drove me I don't nuts. Like the way he was using a freaking butter knife to cut his meat. Well, pulling the meat off the chicken is a euphemism for the guy in the doorway at the end of the movie. Why is that guy <laughs> such a puss puss? What, the kid, Peter? Yeah. Why is Peter know. a puss puss? <laughs> Why? Did you want him to be like a strong Schwarzenegger type? No, of I just, too? I don't know. Like, I get it. You're, you're, you're probably, what, 17? You killed your sister. Uh, 
but I don't know. Yeah. He just he was sixteen and she was thirteen. Oh, sixteen, okay. I, it's That's just... what I read. Does she look thirteen compared to his sixteen? No, she's only sixteen am... in real life. Because so l- r- side very, sidebar very here. I well, I had to look her up because because my wife was like, "Isn't she like forty five in real life?" Because so, <laughs> which she's not. She's sixteen. Um, was there another movie that involved some sort of clicking sound? Because Alyssa claims she swears up and down that she had already seen this movie, and I'm like, I have not. So if you saw it, it was with your other boyfriend. I mean, there's a lot of clacking and stuff in like the Grudge movies. Well, there's that, and then there's the clapping and the conjuring. Right, that one. Yeah. That's what I mentioned, and I don't know. She she's staring at her phone for the majority of the movies, anyway. So then she, she's smarter than all of us. Well, you know, <laughs> no, it, I I I'm glad I saw it because it's it's a fun movie to discuss, but yeah. not as in wow, was that movie great? It's like mm-hmm. I I like trading theories of how it could have been better. Yeah, I'm definitely not scoring this movie high, which we should probably get into because my bladder is telling me that we're, we're we should wrap this fucker up. But um, I'm not going to score this high, but that doesn't mean that I'm like upset that I watched it. Does that make right. sense? Right. There's, there's, no, no, I'm 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 with you on that. I was upset for, that I had to rewatch it. For for <laughs> for the record, one of the reason I picked this movie is because I stumbled on uh, actually I stumbled on an interview with the actress who plays Charlie. Um, because it popped up as a an article of interest because she asked to keep her head from the prop department. Nice. Oh, weird. Because she wanted to put it on the dinner table for Halloween, and her parents didn't want her to. And I thought, <laughs> and I immediately went to Twitter, clicked follow, because that person is fucking delightful. She is awesome. Yeah. Huh. I didn't realize this was like the only movie she's ever been in at this point. I mean, I'm sure... I'm sure she'll find work now, but no, I think like of the actors, like she was one of the most compelling in the movie. Like she, she did... was the most relatable character because she wasn't <laughs> there for most of the bullshit in the rest of the film. She, right. um, it's it's weird that the character who is super weird and socially disconnected is what we here at podcast on, at uh, at podcast of terror we consider relatable. Yeah, but yeah, wow. no, I, I I get what you mean. Or or maybe it's just that I feel the most empathy towards her. And the rest of the people I was anxious to see die. So while she was cutting the head off, my wife looks at me and she goes, this is why we're not having children. She goes, my <laughs> love of true crime and your love of horror, our child would be fucking doing something like this. No, that's worse. No. Your your child would come the up being the next Jerry Fall. They're always, kids are always doing the opposite of their parents. Your kids would be like into ponies and shit, like pink ponies. Genetically modified to be pink. <laughs> Genetically modified pink ponies. <laughs> uh, yeah. Because it's in the future. That's that's a good point. Well, still not having kids, so we'll just nip that no. right in the butt. All right, JF, you have to you have to rate this on a zero to five. Oh wait, I have to start zero to five. Yeah, you're the three. guest. You have to start. I give it a three. Well, all right. Like on a good day, I might even give it a three point five, but three is where I'm gonna stand. Corey, how about you? No, I, I I know for a fact I'm being very generous. But yes, you it, are. It, it's a movie that is thematically very much in, in the genres that I like my horror movies. Um, it's just... It's a movie that if it would have been well made, it would have been an easy five. So for me to like bring it all the way down to a three or 3.5 is, is, is a hard knock. Yeah, yeah. 
Corey. Uh, I don't think it's a secret that uh, before rewatching this, this movie probably would have scored a zero for me. Uh, <laughs> it was not only the my most hated movie of this year, but one of my most hated movies ever. It's right next to A Night in the Life of Jimmy Reardon as one of the worst film experiences I've ever had. Rewatching it, I felt a little bit better about it, uh, but I'm going to stick to my guns and give it a zero. <laughs> Shit. See, my my worst movie of the year is Rogue One, but that was the previous year. It's <laughs> right. so bad that it spills over a few years. It, it linger, lingers. Wow. I um, really didn't like Rogue One. I still haven't seen it. I haven't seen that or Solo yet. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, that's what I keep it's hearing. Good. So it's like eh, it's maybe, maybe I just will bypass watching that. Solo, solo is, is is incoherent but fun. Rogue One is just joyless and stupid and badly written. <sighs> Damn it! Sorry. <laughs> no, it's really not a big deal. I'm not a big Star Wars fan, so there's no. Then you would probably like it. Well, no, no, it's no. not. It's it's the structural problems with Rogue Ones aren't just because it's a bad. It's not a bad Star Wars movie. It's a bad movie. <laughs> there's there's a lot of problems with it, but because Matt does not enjoy be. sci-fi at all or Star Wars, he might actually like Rogue One. Do you like characters that you can't relate to and have no likable qualities and no character arc, Matt? So okay. if, if so, Rogue One's for you. <laughs> for what it's worth, I think I turned Rogue on Rogue One on once, and about forty-five minutes into it, turned it off, and never went back to it. And someone's like, "You really should go watch it," and I've been meaning to. So no, I, I I get a lot of shit from my uh, sci-fi loving friends for being very harsh on Rogue One, but I uh, stick to my guns on that. Yeah, I'm. I'm uh, I'll be on your side. What's um, your rating of hereditary, Matt? One point five. Clear, clearly, I'm the optimist here. Which is fine. I mean, like you said, if it was shot a little better, you know, whatever. I just that the acting made it really difficult to get into some of like the nonsensical story parts and missing scenes. You know, whatever. The last two minutes. The last two minutes earns the zero for me. <sighs> so much potential at the end though that's just wasted yeah that's the thing it it man i really do believe that there has potential in this movie and they just there's a shitload of potential they just fuck you with they fucked the dog yeah <laughs> they fucked the dog like, so hard just just at, just at the end like the, the headless body floating into to the treehouse now, just change that to it walking into the yeah. treehouse. Yeah. Right. So much weirder looking. Yep. Yeah. Like, why did they make it float? I don't understand. Like, it's such a weird, nonsensical decision. Uh, and, and because she was I, floating above him in the attic when she was cutting off her head, which but, was unnecessary. It's not creepy enough that your mother is cutting off her own head while staring hard at you. I'd like. She also has to float in the air. I, it, I think it, that scene where she's cutting off her head would have been creepier if she's doing it sitting in a corner. Yeah, right. But they needed her to be floating so that when the cutting that. stops, you can hear her body hit the ground. Mm. Well, if she was standing, or if she was standing upright and she cut her head off, she, the body could still hit the ground if she crumpled. Yeah, you know I, I mean? so, there, there's ways to make it not stupid. Yeah, yeah. I agree. Anyways, Corey, I'm assuming you still can't read. I cannot read. 
like books <clears throat> no nah, tv's too far away so we can't read the outro so i have to because there's old ah. man eyes you can contact us by leaving us a voicemail at 805-328-3966 you can email us at pot at gncast.com you can leave us messages on the website or well follow the show on twitter facebook oh my god <coughs> twitter facebook and instagram at podcast of terror i almost died there also subscribe to this podcast via itunes stitcher google play any of your favorite podcasters i still might die um if i do it's been real uh i just want to see you cough enough so that you actually pee your pants oh my mother i love her it's gonna happen (laughs) um leave us feedback uh please we can read it you can also go to bit.ly slash pot review you can review the show there all subscription options and links can be found at gncast.com slash subscribe you can follow the entire network on uh, facebook under the galactic network if you want to give the show money without actually giving us money, go to amazon.podcasthere.com. Shop up like you normally would. We get a cut. Costs you nothing. JF, where would you like people to find you? Uh, people can find me on my website. That's jfdubo.com, J-F-D-U-B-E-A-U.com. Or you can follow me on Twitter at jfdubo. I have a mailing list that people can join, and I'm going to be putting short stories, as Corey suggested earlier, that I do because it's a smart thing. Yeah, he's not. Corey is not dumb. <laughs> he's odd. He's, he's I, I know weird, a lot man. about what I think creators do, and and but I stuff. follow the trends and stuff. I'm just really bad at it myself. I th- I think talent as a starting point is probably what needs to happen. That's true, Corey. Uh, what are what are we pushing? <laughs> what are you pushing this week? I don't know, man. Uh... <laughs> I, I, I joined Pillow Fort. <laughs> what is... Wait, 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 wait. What's Pillow Fort? Okay, so there is the Tumblr exodus going on right now because uh, Oath, which is under Verizon, owns Tumblr and all the other Yahoo shit and apparently was uh, overvalued by somebody, uh, being Counter. And so they said, we don't want to have adult content on Tumblr because they have no understanding of what Tumblr is. And so everybody from Tumblr is is uh, crying Armageddon and probably walking naked in the woods into somebody's house. It, maybe that's where they got the idea for the ending of this movie. Maybe. It, it, it looks like a couple of Tumblr blogs I've seen. Anyway, so there are a few <laughs> different sites that are hopefully for these people going to be the bastions of where they can go to take their fanfic slash fiction uh, art things and put them. And one of them is Dream Width and the other one is this Pillow Fort. Pillow Fort is still in beta. It's an open beta, but you have to pay five bucks to get an account with them. And I think you probably have to pay five bucks to set up each different account if you want to have multiples. But that is where people are... Some people are going, and it's very, very sketchy when you get on there as to, like, will your page refresh, will your blog post post, all that shit. But it is, at this point in time, sounding like they will defend people's rights to post the things that they want to post, but still have in place things like we don't want uh, things with minors. Uh, Artwork with minors we can be a little bit flexible on, but even then, if it looks like it's a kid, we're not going to let you publish it. But beyond that, they're going to go into the direction of, bless you. Bless you. They're going to go in the direction of people get to make art, tell stories, that kind of thing. 
post nudity if they want to. There's NSFW uh, tags and things. Hmm. So I didn't go to it for that. I liked Live Journal. Uh, I when Aaron and I met, I had started a Live Journal when that was the new shit. I was an early adopter. I got a permanent account for a hundred bucks at one point, and it was you know, where I did my daily diary thing and met a lot of friends there that I'm still friends with people now uh, that have moved to MySpace and Facebook and everything else. And LiveJournal is kind of problematic since it got bought up by a Russian company and blocked a lot of the same things Tumblr's blocking, but just also in general, the company is kind of sketch. So I like, what I find I'm missing in social media is that the stuff now is post memes, post pictures, argue post news stories, all that stuff. And I'm not saying that the other things don't do that too. But what I missed was the actual, like either being able to write whatever I wanted and just have a post and ignore everything or have actual conversations with people. And I don't think that Twitter or Facebook, certainly not Instagram, but it's a completely different thing is, is helpful in people having actual conversations. So this was something to try out to see if, Maybe it is. And right now I'm not really, I'm following a couple people. I've got a couple of people who just started following me, but I'm just posting to it. Like I used to post a live journal because that's what I wanted. And yeah, it pillowfort.io. Not saying look for me. I'm just saying if you're looking for a new or old blogging experience, could be a place. Interesting. I kind of, kind of curious what happens if you'd accidentally go to pillow fart. Uh, you find happiness. Huh. And probably your future child who is pink and a unicorn. <laughs> just, uh, yeah, I'm just I'm not gonna say that. I don't want to offend anyone. <laughs> Aw. Right. If if people Let's were looking see. to be offended by you, where could they find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram and untapped M at the lifeguard. Yeah. That's, I don't really post much. I have gotten so many weird people I've never met friend me on Facebook, and they're all banned people, and I feel like if I don't friend them, they're never going to ask us to play, so I have to friend them. I don't like being pressured into friendship. At least it's not people who just want to friend you to play games anymore. That was the big thing. Like, everybody wants to be your friend for Farmville. <laughs> I never played Farmville. Every few years, it's a different thing. That's true. Yeah. Um, next week, we're going to be doing the Curious Creations of Christine McConnell with JF. Any guesses? I'm going to guess it's Amy Frost. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you knew that that was already happening or if just by the fact that this is... It's a Netflix show about someone who makes Halloween decorations, I think. I am basically it's a Netflix show if um it, it's it's Amy Frost's Netflix show. If she had a show, it's, it's Yeah, that would be. is a really good way to uh That's a really good it's, fucking way to describe that. <laughs> it's, I, it's even better than that. Not better than Amy Frost, obviously, but no, it, no, it's no. more than just a crafting show with Halloween it's, themes. It's so good. Is it really? I, I had oh, seen I love, like I love the, it so much. Yeah, I had it's, seen the ad for it, and she's like, "Well, can we do it?" I'm like, "I don't fucking care. If you want to do it, we'll do it." Like, that's why I ask you. 
look, you're gonna you're gonna go in. You're gonna go. Eh, I don't know. This is weird. And then there's gonna be things said, very subtle things, and you're gonna go. Oh no. Okay, I get it. I'm in. It's okay. gonna be weird. <laughs> okay. It's Good. you think it's for kids because there's puppets. Yeah. But no. <laughs> and it's great. It's the best. All it's right, all very yeah. subtle and awesome. Well, that made me a little more excited for this. It's cheesy, though. Like, don't expect it to be, like, super... How's the acting realistic. in it, though? Eh, it's, it's... They're puppets, man. <laughs> Why? Wow, is it better than Hereditary? Um, It's it's better than most of the main cast of Hereditary, yes. Okay, good. One of, I'm, I'm one of the puppets that. yells at the other puppet not to make that face with their face. I'm, yes. Yeah, balls deep now. <laughs> All right. That's going to do right. it for another episode of the podcast here. We will talk to you guys next week. Stay scared, everybody. Requiem.